<laughs> Pot of gold. Here we go. We're back. We're back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new season of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we've got a great show for you this week, this season, this minute. What's been going on in the world since we left? It's been a couple months. Hope you all are doing well. Lots been happening. Lots been happening. Let's see, our last show was end of November, so we've had, you know, six weeks of a break, and lots been going on. We had some record flooding out here in Pacific County, Washington. Don't know how you're doing out in your neck of the woods, but I hope that you uh, protected your stuff and that nothing got too flooded. If you did get flooded, sorry to hear that. Hope that uh, hope that you had insurance. Anyway, yeah, it's been a it's been a bit, been a minute, huh? How you guys doing? I'm doing well. Things have been good. I'm excited to get going again. This is the first time I've recorded, you know, for a while. So let's get into it. News and current events. Bum, 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 bow. Look, I'm no fool. I realize the state of news in the United States right now is pretty poor. It's hard to know who to trust. Everybody seems like they've got an agenda. The algorithm is giving people exactly what they want and blocking out everything that's contradictory to their existing opinions. News is fucked, okay? What I'm going to try to do in this segment is take a little from the left, a little from the right, and try to distill it down into some objective truth. It couldn't be impossible to know what's going on in the world. It's starting to feel like it is. Everything seems like it's full of bullshit, but let's see what we can do. This first story is from a January 19th issue of Boundless. And Boundless is an immigration newsletter. So this is a source that was intended for immigrants to read. Take that as you will. It's called Slowing Immigration is Worsening Worker Shortages. As labor shortages continue to make headlines, U.S. government data is showing that falling immigration is contributing to the crisis. The number of people entering the United States is less than one quarter of what it was in 2016, falling from over 1 million to less than 247,000 in 2021. The year-over-year decline in migration means that there are an estimated 2 million fewer working-age immigrants in the country today than there would have been if migration had continued at a steady pace. Combined with the steep decline in birth rates, identified by the 2020 census, and the decision of many workers over the age of 45 to leave the workforce during the pandemic, the cratering of migration into this country is making the U.S. labor shortage worse. Industries hit the hardest include service, natural resources, and construction. Though these foreign-born workers are not the majority of workers in these fields, they make up a large enough proportion that removing them from the workforce has exacerbated shortages at a time when employers are desperate to hire. Of the 2 million working-aged immigrants locked out of the United States in the past two years, 
an estimated one million of them were college educated. By some estimates, this resulted in 2.5 million fewer jobs being created, not to mention the loss of bright foreign students or entrepreneurs who never entered the United States. The absence of these foreign-born workers is also tied to the rise in inflation. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce believes that increasing immigration is the only way to quickly reduce inflation by easing the supply chain disruptions at the heart of the rise in inflation. Okay, so in my opinion, this article has some good information in it. It does a little too much speculation for my liking, claiming that the supply chain problems are the result of a lack of immigration is a pretty big jump to me. I'm sure it affects it, but I'm not so sure that we can make that direct connection. That being said, this article does present a situation that looks like we need to allow more immigration. However, this article does seem to be a little bit biased in that it doesn't provide any of the counter arguments against open immigration and it doesn't really explain any of the problems that exist and complicate the issue in the first place. It kind of just makes it seem like it's an easy peasy situation where, you know, more immigration is just going to solve all of our country's problems. And I think we all know that that's just not the case. It's a much more complicated situation and it needs to be considered with nuance. In related news, Vice President Kamala Harris as part of her visit to Guatemala on Monday, told potential migrants that they should not travel to the U.S.-Mexico border, claiming that they would be turned back if they did. I want to emphasize that the goal of our work is to help Guatemalans find hope at home. At the same time, I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making the dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border, do not come. Do not come, she said. Harris made the remarks at a press conference alongside Guatemalan President Alejandro Giamate as she visited the country in her first visit abroad since being appointed by President Biden to lead the diplomatic efforts to the region to help solve the massive spike in migration to the border in recent months. While Harris and the administration have emphasized root causes in Central America like poverty, climate, and violence as the reason for the spike, Giamate had also pointed to the change in the message to migrants with the new administration. The message changed to, we're going to reunite families, we're going to reunite children, he told CBS. The very next day, the Coyotes were here organizing groups of children to take them to the United States. We asked the United States government to send more of a clear message to prevent more people from leaving, he said. On Monday, Harris seemed to be attempting to make clear that message and claimed that migrants would be turned back as she sought to present a tougher stance on illegal immigration. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border, she said. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur, but we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration, and I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. This is according to a Fox News article entitled, Harris in Guatemala tells potential migrants they will be turned back. Do not come, do not come. The article goes on to say, the Biden administration has rolled back a number of Trump-era policies which kept migrants out of the U.S. even as increasing numbers of migrants flooded to the border. Of those, the most significant was the migrant protection protocols, which kept migrants in Mexico as they awaited their hearings. The Biden administration has ended the program and has been processing migrants enrolled into the program into the U.S. It has also ended a number of asylum cooperative agreements with countries like Guatemala, 
which made migrants claim asylum in other countries first, and has been accused of encouraging migration by narrowing interior enforcement in the U.S. and pushing for a pathway to citizenship for illegal immigrants already in the U.S. The administration has kept in place the Trump-era Title 42 public health order, which allows migrants to be expelled quickly due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And officials said that out of the 178,000 migrants encountered at the border in April, 111,000 of them were expelled, mainly single adults. The administration has not applied Title 42 to unaccompanied children, of which there were more than 13,000 that arrived at the border in April. And it is not returning migrant families with children under seven to Mexico due to the country's refusal to take them, meaning that significant numbers of families are not being turned back and are being released into the U.S. interior. Along with the tougher line of illegal immigration, Harris continued to emphasize the root cause explanation for the migrant surge, speaking of the U.S. investments in agribusiness, affordable housing, and Guatemalan entrepreneurs. The U.S. recently announced $310 million in aid to the region as part of a $4 billion planned investment in Central America. She announced a Young Women's Empowerment Initiative to increase education and employment among women and girls. To combat human trafficking, drug smuggling, and corruption, she said she had frank discussions with the Guatemalans on the questions of fighting corruption. I don't know if you caught this, but sometime over the break, they put a pig's heart in a man. Yeah, let that sink in. Now, I know they've been doing pig valves for, you know, forever. But this time, we're talking full-blown pig heart. According to an article by the BBC News, a U.S. man has become the first person in the world to get a heart transplant from a pig, a genetically modified pig. David Bennett, age 57, is doing well three days after his experimental seven-hour procedure in Baltimore, doctors say. The transplant was considered the last hope of saving Mr. Bennett's life, though it is not yet clear what his long-term chances of survival really are. It was either die or do the transplant, Mr. Bennett explained a day before the surgery. I know it's a shot in the dark, but it's, it's my last choice, he said. Doctors at the University of Maryland Medical Center were granted a special dispensation by the U.S. medical regulator to carry out this kind of crazy-ass procedure on the basis that Mr. Bennett, who has terminal heart disease, would have otherwise died. He had been deemed ineligible for a human transplant and the decision that is often taken by doctors when, they, when the patient is in very poor health. So they decided... We got this pig heart. Let's see what happens. So they used a, a pig with uh, genetic knockouts. So there are certain genes that exist in a natural pig heart that the human body will reject. So it, it won't take. They knock those genes out. And so everyone's got their fingers crossed that we got a new uh, pig hybrid just roaming the streets here pretty soon. I'm sure it won't be long before we we'll just be overrun with them. Pretty crazy times we're living in, huh? Just bizarre. So if you have a bad heart, and terrible health, there may be hope for you yet. Don't even worry about making those lifestyle changes. Anyway, so Elon Musk recently tweeted a list of 50 cognitive biases, along with the line, these biases should be taught to all at a young age. Whatever you believe about Elon's politics or his business practices, it's hard to argue with him on this one. Cognitive biases. Let's break that down. Cognitive, what does that mean? That means regarding thought. Bias means a tendency towards one direction or another, a tendency to repeat patterns and, you know, a tendency to repeat tendencies. Biases are shortcuts that our minds use to make sense of the world around us. Everyone's bias is a little different. 
And it's based not only on the experiences and events of one's life, but on how they interpret those events and what meaning they may or may not have applied to them. Cognitive biases developed through our ancestral history through the brain's constant effort to find patterns, increase efficiency, and reduce cognitive load. They are tricks that protect the ego, and they have been shaped by the collective human consciousness over thousands of years, making them essentially impossible to extricate. These biases can be a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, they do expedite the arduous task of reasoned decision-making, and they have a tendency to motivate behaviors that favor the individual, i.e., they can aid in the formation of personal identity, confidence, self-esteem, but there's a, there's a downside to them too. They also create cognitive blind spots and they can lead to the misinterpretation of events and their causes, which can in turn lead to making poor decisions, which hurts the individual. It is important to note that bias is not like a disease that affects some but not others. It's a part of who we are. Bias is a fundamental component of human consciousness. It's one of the things that makes us human. And that's why scientists put so much effort into limiting the effects of personal bias during research. They have to consider the impacts of bias from a myriad of different sources, including the participants, the researchers conducting experiments, even the institutions that may be funding the study, and even the greater culture at large. It is in everyone's best interest to strive to be fully aware of our own biases, our own tendencies to engage in lazy thought patterns. We can't let our monkey brains run the show. If we're going to limit our own biases, which is crucial if we're going to form a balanced and egalitarian society that we all so desire, it is important that we know what to look for. So welcome to the first installment of Ramble by the Rivers, Better Know a Bias. We are going to go through Elon's list of 50 cognitive biases, one bias at a time, one bias per episode, and... We're going to make it through that list by the end of this season. So here we go. Bias of the week, the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error in psychology is the tendency to attribute causation in a specific pattern that favors the self at the cost of others. For example, take Bill. Bill is your coworker, and you guys had agreed to meet at 8 o'clock. It's 8.20, and Bill comes rolling in and explains that he ran out of gas on the way to work. Now, you might reflexively attribute the cause of Bill's lateness to Bill's lack of planning and his failure to ensure that he had gas in his car before the commute. However, it is just as possible that Bill did have gas and that his teenage son took the car the night prior and did not refill the tank. The effect is reversed when it is regarding the self, for example, Bill might attribute the cause of his lateness to his piece-of-shit son's inconsiderate behavior. But it is still possible that Bill, already aware of his son's history of disregarding the needs of others, could have reminded his son to refill the gas, and he could have checked when the kid returned home in order to be certain that he would make it to his meeting on time in the morning. So when you get right down to it, isn't it Bill's fault for raising a kid who doesn't have any manners? Couldn't you attribute the cause to Bill for his failure to instill a sense of common courtesy into his offspring? How does cause and effect really work? How do you tease it apart? How do you really establish causation ever? Reality is rarely black and white, and the truth behind causal attributions lies somewhere between what each of us believes to be true. In my opinion, the takeaway message from the fundamental attribution error is to remember to challenge yourself 
challenge your own attributions. When you're so sure that something that happened to you that was bad was so-and-so's fault, take a step back from that and actually think about it. Think about any other possibilities where this causal attribution could be made. Could it have been something that was out of their control? Could it have been something that maybe you don't even know about? It works positive and negative. Maybe something really good happened to you. Maybe you got a promotion at work. Maybe, maybe you were bestowed with some honor that shows that you are above and beyond in your job and everybody knows it. You could easily attribute that to you and say like, look, this is, I, I'm getting this credit because I deserve it. I've worked hard. I've put in the time. I've made the right choices and now I'm being rewarded. You could just as easily look around at your environment, at your support system, at the, all the people who behind the scenes may have made moves on your behalf that you don't even know about. The point is attributions are oversimplifications of real life. I would like to challenge each and every one of you to try to recognize the fundamental attribution error at work in you over the next week. Look for times when maybe you attribute cause to something that's maybe not quite fair, or maybe you jump to conclusions about other people. Maybe you're, maybe you're too kind to yourself. Maybe you don't take enough responsibility for things that are happening around you, and it's time to notice that. So I'm curious to see where this pops up in your life. I notice it all the time. These are things that I try to look for whenever I can because they really are something that you need to be aware of. I think the bottom line with recognizing this one is that it's important to remember that it goes both directions. It's really easy to get into the, oh, woe is me, why does everything bad happen to me mode and ignore the fact that we have a lot of agency, we have a lot of autonomy, we have a lot of ability to improve our situation, even at times when we feel like we don't. Just from the very sheer fact of framing situations into ways that make you feel better about it. You don't have to present yourself as a victim of circumstance at all times. As you navigate this week, I want you to look at yourself and your own cognition and your own decision-making processes and attribution process. Take a look at yourself with an open mind, open heart, and don't judge yourself too harshly. Keep in mind, this is a fundamental attribution error, meaning it's fundamental. It's part of us. It's in there. You are going to do it. It's something that we all do. The whole point is to recognize when it happens and create distance between the, the actual decision to make that attribution and the effect it has. Try to find that space in between and try to recognize what you can do there and how it provides you the ability to choose another path. Anyway, that's the fundamental attribution error. If you guys have any questions or you'd like to share something in your experience with watching yourself and self, you know, self-monitoring, go ahead and hit me up on Facebook at Ramble by the River or Twitter at Ramble River Pod and leave me a comment. Ramble by the River is made possible by the generous support of our listeners. There's a special group of listeners that we call the Ram Fam. Now they've all agreed to pay a small subscription fee. And in return, every month, they get special features that are not available to the general public. Merch drops, behind-the-scenes updates, early access to every episode, and exclusive bonus episodes that you can't find anywhere else. And on top of all that, subscribers will receive access to the RamFam Patreon group, where the RamFam can connect with each other and with me. We could do AMAs or meet-and-greets on there, too. If you're a fan of the show and you regularly listen to the free episodes you are going to love the extras that come along with this subscription. So 
go to ramblebytheriver.com where you'll find a link to the Patreon and it'll take you right to the landing page and you can sign up today. Connect with Ramble by the River on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Search for Ramble by the River on Facebook and Insta. And on Twitter, search for Ramble River Pod. All this information, as well as any links you hear referenced during the episode, are available in the show notes for this episode and at ramblebytheriver.com. Last March, we aired an interview with Mario Rodriguez. Mario Rodriguez is a local from here in Pacific County. He worked at the school district for many years, and he's just a very active community member and a good dude. You may remember that during the Trump administration, there was a string of local deportations and people being detained by ICE. It was a big deal. Lots of people were freaked out. Mario was one of those people. He was detained while he was going to check his mail, and he was taken to a detention facility and stayed there for a month. It was a big nightmare for him. Not a good time. He left Mexico 20 years ago because of fear that he'd be persecuted for his status as a gay man. Landing in Pacific County, Washington, he built a life. He established a career, he made friends, built relationships, and made this place his home. During the Trump administration, ICE was ramped up, and Mario was among the many who had their entire life turned upside down. I understand that many of you are probably like, well, he broke the law, you know? People who break the law get in trouble. That's the way it works. But after doing some research, I've seen that the laws about immigration are really not straightforward. It's not easy to get through that system without breaking the law, and it takes years and years to do that. You'll see in this episode that there's definitely some complications that make the immigration process in desperate need of some renovations. So I really feel for the guy. I can't imagine what it would be like to have built a life somewhere and then have it just ripped away from you. I don't care where you're from. That would suck. Mario has had some updates in his case, and he dropped by the studio this week to let us know what's going on. So, you were here last March, and you gave us a full rundown of your legal situation with getting detained by ICE and having to go to jail for a month and all this really awful-sounding stuff. And when we left off, you were waiting to hear from the court about uh, whether or not they were going to grant you asylum. So could you fill us in a little bit on what's happened over the last nine months? Yes. First of all, I would like to congratulate you because when I hear the last, the first part of this uh, interview, I really love the way you made the introduction. It was very well done. You did a very huge investigation and research and letting the people know about how the immigration system works in this country. I yeah. tried. I, I listened to it again today, and I, I didn't I, I didn't was do surprised. Justice. I was surprised because many people just don't know. They, you I, see us here. And <laughs> yeah, I really didn't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, how is everything and, going? Uh, when I was here in March, I knew that by September I would know something. And now I know something. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't a very good news, but it wasn't bad news either. So uh, my case go back to the uh, 
immigration court in Seattle. So it looks like we start again the whole thing. But that so gives me appeal, it's just gives, give me scratch. more time. Okay. More time. But at the same time, uh, the Ninth Circuit, which is in San Francisco, the Ninth Circuit, uh, they found some, um, I can't say mistakes, but they found things that uh, my file or my case was not evaluated properly. And so they decided to, to send the file, the whole case back to the immigration court in Seattle in order for the immigration judge to reconsider my case again. They could grant me uh, my uh, permission or my asylum, but they decided to take it back so the proper judge, which is the immigration judge, could evaluate or take over or read or reconsider, reconsider again my my situation, my case. So probably three things can happen. One is that the immigration judge can just say, okay, yes, I made a mistake or I didn't notice this and I'm going to fix it. And so I'm going to grant uh, the asylum to Mario. And is it the same judge as last time or is it a new judge? It's the same. Same judge. Yes, the same. Is he allowed to consider the evidence from the last time or? Yes. Okay. So yes. it's almost like a, it's a sequel case, not yes. necessarily a redo. I think my lawyer mentioned that he can, uh, the other thing, well, that's the easy part and the best part for me. That would be the best. And the other part is that he can, uh, I think he can reopen the case and set up a series of uh, these, uh, hearings. Mm -hmm. And I can, could provide probably more evidence or uh, but it's going to take a while. Okay. And the other thing is that he can say no <laughs> yeah. again. So. Which it, there was a possibility because he, why, why did he say no last time? Was there a, a justification provided? It, that's what the, uh, the Ninth Circuit judges, it was two federal judges and one uh, district judge. Uh, they, they said, why? the immigration judge is saying that he believes in Mario's story and didn't grant his petition. So that's what is their question. So they are sending back the file because they said, why are you saying, yes, I believe Mario's story and, and not granting his asylum. So that's where, so think about that, yeah, uh, read it, go over and let's see what happened. Okay. Interesting. And if he says no again, so it, it would be to start again the whole thing. And I don't think that would be a good idea because uh, I would appeal again mm -hmm. and would go to the Ninth Circuit again and they will say, well, are we playing? Yeah. <laughs> Those, that's a, that is my own perception. It's not uh, you think what they would my because they're like, Why I hope he is going to consider uh, that because, uh, well, my, my lawyer says that he, he is very, uh, he trusts immigration. He's not bad persons. Mm -hmm. uh, he thinks that he probably uh, told his assistants to manage my case and they just miss, uh, that led to all these things that is happening yeah. right now. So there's not, it wasn't your fault. There was nothing that you did. Yeah. It was just yeah. the legal system kind yeah. of flopped. 
yeah, I think he rely rely on other people to to fill the paper and deny my case and he just signed it or I don't know how it I imagine works. there's a lot of cases going through those offices. It's, it's hundreds. A lot to hundreds, keep track of. Yeah. So probably it, thousands. Yeah, it's probably a sloppy system. Yeah. Um I just if I was to speculate. Yeah. So you're yeah. still just kind of in limbo. Yeah, but in the other hand, uh, all the uh, immigrant community are a little uh, happy or quiet because the uh, immigration and custom enforcement are not here. Uh, Has it been for, quiet? Yeah. Well, I know that they are around, but just targeting case, special cases, criminal cases, something that uh, is has to be something with the national security things. You think it's been a noticeable change since the administration switched yeah, over? Yeah, right? and yeah. people notice that. Yeah, it's definitely a little, feels like a pressure relief yeah. um, in the whole country. Yeah. And it's still not a great yeah, situation. Still, but yeah, because you know, nothing has been done. That, but, but, yeah. The immigration reform there is... Uh, is both parties have to have to be seated and talk because it's, immigration is a very complicated. Yeah, it really issue. is. Yeah, it really not is. Not only here is in the whole world. Yeah, because it's not just immigration from Mexico. It's, yeah, it's, it's every from, country. Yeah, because it's a, and there's different rules for. It's a characteristic of this country. <laughs> That's what we're all about. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's it's an important aspect yeah, of and, what we are. And we see now the lack of employees in many kind of jobs, different areas, not only in the hotels, industry, restaurants, fields, agriculture. Everything. Everywhere. I, I think we're in a, the middle of a labor crisis. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even think we've begun to see the effects of what that's going to mean down the line. Yeah. And there are people still thinking that we are taking over their jobs and we are abusing the system, but the fact is there. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm teaching a class every week to people that uh, have a permanent residency, and I'm training them, uh, preparing them to become, to take the U.S. citizenship test. So you have been able to still work? Well, I'm, su I'm not supposed to work. Okay, so to it be has honest. Affected, <laughs> yeah. affected your ability. To... I'm not supposed, but how I can fit myself. The system doesn't want us to and to live on the welfare. But after four years, how they expect me to live? Yeah, to live from people, to live from the charity, or how? So I, as I tell you, I, I'm not supposed to be working, but I am. You gotta eat. They know the system is broken. But there are some things they have to fix, like this is one of the aspects. If you do end up having to return to Mexico, are you going to go back to the city you came from originally, or are you going to start fresh somewhere else? What do you Have you thought about that plan? I have plan A, B, and C. <laughs> yeah, and going back to Mexico, that well, plan B and C are in Mexico, but going to Mexico is because I would apply to uh, to go and work in Canada. That would be the second scenario. And if that can be done, that's fine. I met a, a guy from Colombia when while I was detained. Uh, he was left like half year after myself. 
and he decided to go to Canada. And now he's getting his permanent residency ship now. He's I've so heard happy. Twice. It's very fast and now. Yeah. And he told me, come here, come here. No, I, my life is here. Yeah. And that's the plan B to apply to Canada. The other thing is that the, the plan C uh, is when I arrived to Mexico and be with the family for a few weeks, I would uh, go to Mexico City and take an intensive training to become a teacher, to get my credentials and become a, a teacher in probably one month living in Mexico City and get my uh, teaching certification, which is, I have all the preparation. I just don't have the paper. Had, if you could give some advice to somebody who's in a similar situation to you, uh, what would it, what would it be? Uh, patience, <laughs> patience, a lot of patience. I, one thing, I consider myself a very patient person. People can insult me. People can tell me horrible things, humiliate me, and I would be quiet. But there is some time uh, that you say, stop it. I just want to go. And in my case, that what happened at some point in my whole immigration case, they didn't insult me, but the whole thing, the case, holding that whole load and just waking up and thinking that you are in the same problem that you were the day previous day. But if it wasn't for this uh, Pacific County Immigrant Support, this organization that provided me uh, economical support, but not only the financial support, but the moral, the help uh, I, I needed when I needed the most, they were there. And I refused their support for a few months, but then I realized, well, why sometimes we are stubborn and just refuse to get help but the help is there. So I accepted their support and then I have become a key part of the team of that organization and then trying the to pay back. There now. Yeah, <laughs> trying cool. to pay back. That's very cool. Yeah, helping as much as possible. So <clears throat> that's got to feel kind of strange when you're helping people and you're still very much in the midst of these problems yourself. Yeah, the bizarre thing is, as I told you, that I'm teaching, I'm preparing people to became, to become citizen and I'm not able, <laughs> not even yet, to become a, a asylum. If you are granted person. asylum, will you be able to take the path towards citizenship? Uh, yes, but yeah, I have to wait five years and then I would get my permanent residence. And then after five years, then probably... Uh, they can't retroactively give that to you? That... Not right away. Uh, it's waiting. Yeah. Waiting. Patience. Waiting. Patience. Patience. All right. Well, do you want to cover anything else before we wrap this up? No, I think, I think if, if there is a third part of this uh, program, I hope... The next time would say, I did it. <laughs> All right. We too. did it. <laughs> me too. Yeah. I really hope so. Uh, let us here at the show know if there's anything we can do to help. And yeah, if there's anyone out there who needs help with a similar situation with immigration, uh, check out Pacific County Immigration Support. It's a great organization that Mario is a part of. Thank yeah. you so much for coming in, Mario. Thank you for having me. 
My guest today is somebody who I've known for a very long time. We grew up in the same town. We had a lot of the same friends. We're the same age. Yet we had completely different experiences growing up and into our adult lives. This interview is a good reminder that life is hard, almost always. And it can be so much harder with just small obstacles put in your way, things that block opportunities, things that don't allow you to progress in your life. But the only way to conquer those obstacles is to put your head down and work, grind. Just go into it, move through it, do your thing, do what you gotta do. And that's what Monse did. She's a hard worker, she's a great mom, and she's a person who's got a lot of grit. This is a good story. It has a happy ending, and I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, please welcome the lovely and talented Florencia Montserrat Galvan Nunez. I'm free. living on the peninsula just for like you don't feel so expected to be like dressed up yeah when you're, when you're in the city it's true it's just it's true. such like a high pressure to look better i don't mm -hmm. know i don't know if that really matters in a lot of places but i noticed that when i moved to the city it, yeah you can feel the pressure a lot more yeah um okay before we get started a couple things um first of all i'm gonna do a wim hof breathing exercise and I think you should do it with me. Okay. And it's it's gonna make you uncomfortable unless you've done it before and you're used to it. Okay. Do you know what Wim Hof is? Um, He's yeah. a man. Wim okay. is his first name. Hof, last name. Oh. And he has uh, kind of specialized these breathing techniques. He's become world famous, and uh, he can he can tap into his autonomic nervous system and change his biology by his breath. So, just to give you a little hint of what you're in for. Um, yeah, this is just a breathing exercise I do because it breaks breaks tension and makes me relax and it feels good. Yeah. But um, so I'll just play a YouTube video. You'll hear it okay. in your headphones and okay. you just do it. Okay. It'll make the show better. And then also that vest is noisy. Can I get you a blanket to replace no, it if you're I'm cold? Okay. Also the heater no, I'm, pointed I'm... at you. It doesn't work really well unless it's pointing at you. If you get cold, just pivot that bitch around okay okay no i'm actually good thank you okay cool this guy is a he's a riot it's like swedish or something here we go okay are you ready eyes here closed we go. eyes open doesn't matter feel free to stare right at me we'll make eye contact wrong time number one <laughs> breathe in breathe out breathe in breathe out Go with the, the whole thing takes about five of minutes. the breath. In, out. Sometimes I can't keep up. In, He's fast breather. Out. In, out. In, out. Into the belly, into the chest, and let go. Like a wave. 
make it circular. Julian, letting go. I like that. We'll just do one. Okay. Isn't that kind of nice? Yeah. So I, I like the breath work. I might have to do that a little bit more. It's nice, and <clears throat> I've gone like three minutes. Oh, really? Hold my breath doing that it, mm. without it being too bad. I, I actually didn't even get the panicky feeling, and I started being like, wait, maybe I'm fucking dead. Did I die? <laughs> Did I accidentally die doing this stupid <laughs> exercise? Uh, so I breathed, but I wasn't dead. I was just <laughs> calm, and I wasn't used to it. Yeah. But. So how have you been? Uh, it's been literally a decade since we've hung out. Yeah. Were you at the 10-year high school reunion? Yeah, but that wasn't much of a hang. That was really more yeah. of just like a burger. And, it's and I think you were down the table a ways from me. Yes. Uh, we didn't We didn't get to catch up. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, I didn't even graduate with you guys. So, I. but, I mean, that I was your class. So You, you still know. count. I, yeah. So. Did you go to the alternative school at the end? Yeah. Well, you know, I left, um, I think, junior year. I mm-hmm. was going through some rough stuff at home and... I think it just got to the point where I'm like, I'm just going to leave. And in a way, it was a good thing, but in a way, it was a bad thing, you know, because I had my daughter and I went back to school, but I missed out on my senior year with like, you know, you guys and, yeah. you know. I'm- hey, could you pull that mic up to your face just a little bit? There we go. Uh, yeah. So your daughter, you were, how old were you when you had her? I was 18. 18. Yeah. Started right away. First year of your adult life. <laughs> well, actually, I got pregnant when I was 17, and then I was 18 when I had her. So So you had a running start. <laughs> yeah, literally. And so, yeah. How's your daughter now? She's good. She's 14 now. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know how or when, but yeah, she's a freshman in high school, which is crazy to believe. It really is. I feel like she was just little. I have a memory of you and your daughter when she was six months old, and the <laughs> So I grew up always liking little kids and knew when I wanted to be a parent, but it wasn't something that I had really ever thought of from an adult perspective until I saw you as a parent. Like, you were the first one of my friends to be a parent. And I remember when Erica was six months old, you had her and uh, you came over to see us over at the Carries. Yeah. And it was just like the middle of the afternoon and I was holding this little baby and I didn't really have a good sense for what a six-month-old versus a one-year-old versus a three-year-old was so I in my head a six-month-old was the same as an infant and which is so far from the truth Mm -hmm. I remember just being amazed at how cute and fun this baby was (laughs) it's like oh my god I actually want one of these like I don't just like them I want one I want to make one of these things and (laughs) it really stuck with me but I remember that was the first time that happened to me from like an adult brain where yeah. I'm like, we're grown up That's now. crazy. Like, we're legit grown ups. My friend has a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's just crazy how it happened. I left to get away, and then I came back with a baby. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I didn't tell my mom for a while. I told my sister that I was pregnant. My sister told my mom, <laughs> and then my uh-huh. mom called me super pissed. But Moms I mean, will be that way. It was going to happen if I was living with my boyfriend, I guess. Things happen. You're, you're a teenager. Hormones are raging, and... You know, that's People just life. People are going to fuck. <laughs> People are going to fuck, yeah. But 
Yeah, I mean, I went to school down there and everything, and I loved it. But, you know, I really liked living in Texas because that's where I was at. And mm -hmm. I got to experience things, like, as a, you know, for my culture, you know, Hispanic culture. Because, I mean, up here on the peninsula, like, when was that ever going to happen? So, yeah, I got to eat good food and, you know, just kind of go to school with other Hispanic kids. You know, I was, you know, I was maybe one of four Hispanic girls and maybe no more than 15 in total up here at the peninsula. And over there, it was such a huge school. It was 95% Hispanic and then 5% other. What city were you in? In Houston. In Houston. North Houston, yeah. I've never been to Texas. Texas is cool. I mean. So how long did you live there? Uh, I would say off and on, like, almost three years, because I'd come back for a little bit, and then I'd go back, you know, just trying to figure out what worked best for me and her dad, and eventually we just parted ways, because he wanted to be down there, and I wanted to be up here, so, you know. Are you guys still in contact? Yeah, yeah, he's, he doesn't get to see Erica, um, but he talks to her, like, all the time, so, and cool. then I have contact with his family, his mom, and all that, so it's nice to still have some type of um relationships with them yeah that's that's important for the kids yeah so well i don't know with this whole covid thing i've been wanting to go but we can't i don't want to travel with the kids at, right now erica got vaccinated but you know i have a little two-year-old too so mm -hmm. he's a menace and i don't know how we would do on an airplane so yeah 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 two is probably like the cutoff for bringing on on an airplane i don't know it seems like between two and four mm -hmm. is very tricky they're assholes right then i yeah. mean no offense mills <laughs> she knows yeah my she son's... hurts my feelings on the reg yeah my yeah. son's always doing things that i'm just like are you really trying to like purposely piss me off or are you just trying to give me the finger in another way mm -hmm. he always shits his pants when we're about to leave the house always yeah and it's always when i'm in a hurry like going, taking him to daycare or we have an appointment and we're late, you know, and with traffic on the freeway, always have to plan ahead. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he always gets it on the last minute. So yeah, they'll do that. <laughs> I, I'm really happy. Amelia's, I haven't cleaned a shitty diaper for so long now. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, but we got a puppy, so I'm cleaning shit oh. other places. We have a one-year-old dog too, and he, we put pajamas on him. And this last time, he came crying to me. And Wait, like, like nightly you do? Huh? Nightly? Uh, I have a dog, so. No, nightly you put nightly. pajamas on these dogs? Oh, no. He, well, he's a Frenchie, so oh. I dress him up just because it's fun. Uh -huh. We'll go to, the, like, TJ Maxx or some random store, and we'll see a cute, like, a little outfit for him. And he likes to wear them. Like, he gets so excited when you pull them out. But he had his pajamas on that were also, like, his Halloween costume. It was a tiger. And he came crying to me, and was, like, his arm was out the top part. And then I was like, what is going on with you? So I'm like, oh, you just want me to fix your pajamas. No, he was crying because he had pooped and he like sat down and the poop was in his pajamas. And oh, I'm geez. like, I'm so done with my life right now. Do they have like the butt flap to where you could pop pop a couple buttons and <laughs> exit? Uh, he just has a little nub right at the top of his butthole. No, I mean, how do you get the how do you get the shit out of the jammies? Oh, the jammies. Uh, I just threw them away. Mm. No. But I mean, design-wise, from a design perspective, they're probably not are they dog jammies? Them. Yeah, they're dog jammies. Oh, they gotta they have a tail flap. They probably should have a little cutoff, but yeah, or something. A it kind of comes down. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he sat on it. Come on, dog and designers! I'm like, I already have to wipe a baby's butt. I don't need to wipe a dog's butt. Yeah, and a Frenchie butt—that's a real exposed butt. 
Yeah. Yeah, that curled tail, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he loves to put his ass in your face all the time. No, who doesn't? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... Frenchies are cool. I noticed them more because I bought some Frenchie NFTs. Mm, You can do, like, purse NFTs, too. You can do what? Oh, purses? purses, Like, Birkin bags, those are, like, $100,000, even up to a million dollar worth. Yeah. I haven't looked into those ones, but they're... Corporate NFTs are becoming a new thing. Like Nike just bought a shoe brand, a, a shoe, a digital shoe company that is probably now going to be Nike, I guess. But I, and I, I haven't looked into it. I just saw the headline, but I imagine it's for metaverse characters. Mm. So you want to, you know, got that, got to have those fresh kicks on your bored ape. They should have <laughs> just made it like a Fortnite thing. It probably could be call that it too. Good. The that. Everything's going to be interchangeable very soon. Like, so if you have a cool pair of shoes in Fortnite, you'll be able to go play Call of Duty in those shoes. But <laughs> it won't be Call of Duty in Fortnite. It'll be whatever is next. But it's going to all be crypto games, like where you can earn real money and you can play throughout the metaverse. It's already being constructed. It's really cool. Yeah. I don't know. I think the gaming thing is going to be huge. They're making some cool shit. There's yeah. this one called uh, Vish V. I, it can't be how they pronounce it, but it's V-I-S-H-V. That's mm-hmm. the word. I don't think they're American, uh, so I probably sound like an idiot. But whatever the word is, they made this really cool space game. It's really good. I'm excited about those. But NFTs are boring to talk about because you can't see them. I need a bad podcast content, I guess. Look into that. Yeah, and I listen to most of your crypto stuff, and I have other people that talk to me about crypto and – where I work, it's near Bellevue, so you get all the guys coming into the bar mm-hmm. area and they're talking about it. And I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I heard um, my wife sent me a meme the other day that said, crypto is Mary Kay for young men. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of accurate if Mary Kay can make you fucking rich. You're right. I did Mary Kay at one point and that did not work out. (laughs) It doesn't make most people rich, just like crypto. It's like, oh, you get, you have the set price, you sell your product and you keep half. But it's like, who's going to buy your product? Yeah. When I was doing it, my mom was buying all of my product. Yeah. Did she sell, was she turn around and selling too? No, she was just using it. Yeah. They make good shit, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, some stuff, I know a few of the stuff didn't work out for me, but I mean, it works out for other people, just like anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What did you picture talking about when I asked you to come and you said yes? Mm, Life, work, children, I don't know, relationships. Do you have a message to send to the world? (laughs) Do you have a platform or a a soapbox that you like to stand on? Like mine's crypto, psychedelics, uh, mental health, talk about depression even though I don't want to, that kind of shit that I find important. I always want to try to figure out what those things are for people so that – while they're here, they can actually – because the last thing I want is for someone to be driving away and to be like, ah, damn it. I'm always talking about whatever, <laughs> and I didn't even think about it. Do you have anything like that that you have – that you're um, yeah. passionate about? So for sure, mental health. Um, I mean, just growing up in this area, that's a big thing. You know, it's always so Because everyone's dark sad here. <laughs> yeah. Um, suicide for sure. You know, my brother committed suicide uh, about eight years ago, eight, nine years ago. Um, that's definitely important, especially in my type of community, the Hispanic community, like you're not supposed to be upset. I've noticed that is a common theme among marginalized groups. Yeah. I think it's just because you need to be tough because the world's going to shit on you. Yeah. So like the older generations want to teach you like, hey, be ready. 
toughen up. Don't let them see weakness. Mm-hmm. But it seems like that's hopefully will change as things kind of get I've more. S- I've seen like my generation or our generation, it's been more of like helping yourself and helping others with your mental health as to like, you know, growing up, that wasn't normal for my mom to be, you know, talking about. It's always been like, um, you're like for my brother was like, you're the man of the house. You're the boy. I mean, even though we had my stepdad around, but he was the only boy. And it was kind of just like, you know, our feelings, your feelings as a man have to be a certain way. And it's like, that's why I feel like a lot of the times men can have a hard time explaining themselves or expressing their feelings because they're just always shown to, oh, you have to just be a tough guy all the time. Yeah. And not show your emotion. Yeah, that's completely true. It's a it's a difficult thing, though, because to be completely honest, nobody wants to see their dad cry. Yeah. I mean, it's awkward. Mm-hmm. And there are, even though men do need to be able to express themselves and be able to be emotional and experience emotion, there's also a large uh, responsibility on men to be tough. <laughs> like yeah. society still needs that kind of structure. So we need to have strong men. So it's kind of a – you got to figure out when you can be emotional and when not to. So it's like a whole new set of rules you got to learn. But yeah. it's a new it's a new way to think about it, I think, it, that wasn't really taught before. Yeah. 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 So for me, uh, just in the last year, I started going to like therapy, counseling. Um, I even got on antidepressants and anxiety medication um, just because after I gave birth to my son, I kind of – was experiencing postpartum depression to top it off. Got the PPD. And that was rough because I didn't go through that with my daughter. Um, I don't know if it was because I had such a hard time having another child, Um, something that I never really talked about with anybody. You know, everyone in my family, you know, had sex. They got pregnant. And with me having my daughter so early, I didn't think it would be an issue when I got older and wanted to have children when I was actually ready. And so... When I actually gave birth, I felt like I couldn't even connect to my son when he was on my chest. It was really weird experience for me because with my daughter, it was like an automatic like warmth and love. And with my son, it took a really, really long time to feel like that. So mm-hmm. once I really felt like it was not out of control, but it was kind of to where I was having all these crazy like thoughts in my head. Um, I was like, yeah, I need to go see somebody because this isn't normal. And even though the postpartum depression kind of went away, everything else was still kind of there. So that's when I'm like, I need to do something. I need to go see a counselor. Yeah, I I hooked up with a counselor and talked to him. I've been talking to him for like a year now. Um, Got on medication, but now I'm off of it. And I feel really, really good because um, I didn't want to have to depend on medication to feel good. I fixed a lot of stuff that felt like I needed to either get rid of or just kind of um, get over and that's what counseling taught me is to not be dwelling on so many things that have already happened. You know, you only have so much control of those things. And mm-hmm. the best way to do, best thing to do is to just handle it and move forward. And so, yeah, it's just been a lot better. And also cutting like toxic relationships too. That's a hard one. Yeah. What if I, that's the only kind of relationships you have? <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. There's a lot of people in that boat. I'm not saying that to my people in my life. I don't <laughs> think you're toxic. I'm just saying I know a lot of people who just have a lot of bad relationships. When you live in a in a place that doesn't value mental health or those doesn't provide a lot of services like that, it seems like there it's really easy for just the culture 
Just like you were just talking about how yeah. the culture, if the culture doesn't support mental health awareness, it becomes real easy to become mentally unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because just being angry was kind of like the norm around the house. Yeah, mine too. Um, you know, living in a small house, my brother, sister, mom and dad, parents were always just really tired from work in general. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, everything else going on just added to the mix. And, you know, my brother didn't have the best mental health. You know, he would go to jail all the time. He'd always be doing things. Like, he was a great kid, and he was so smart. And, you know, you met him. I remember him, yeah. He was but funny. He uh, had a really hard time being like, yeah, I probably shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. And so that was the biggest pressure around the house was my brother um, having to help him and get him to where he needed to be and him having his, um, like, reactions when things didn't go well. And, you know, now that I've done a lot more research and – got to know other people in situations like that, like I realized that he just really, really needed help. Uh-huh. And it sucks because this peninsula doesn't have as much resources as it should for, you know, it's how definitely go. It's definitely lacking in that area. There's really only Willapa Behavioral Health and mm-hmm. then some limited services through the schools. For yeah. kids, I mean. But it's it's very limited. Yeah. And, and then I'm private sure they can stuff only do... is expensive. Oh, yeah. It's so expensive. So do you think your brother was undiagnosed with maybe some kind of a behavior problem or or learning disability or something is that what you're saying um i feel like um or even just he, emotional problems could use some counseling yeah and he and he went to counseling but i feel like maybe whoever or whatever method was being used for him um wasn't for him um because for me i've gone through a few counselors and not until i found this counselor was i oh Okay. Yeah. That's, I think, the most important message to people who don't have any experience with getting help like that is there's a lot of modalities that don't work for you. Like, Mm -hmm. I've gone to a lot of different therapists, and I'd say under half of them uh, were useful to me. Like, I didn't feel the connection. Yeah. And that's not to say the ones that I didn't like wouldn't help somebody else, but just no connection. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I mean, I had I went to a counselor when um, I was married to my ex-husband. He was in the military, and he was, like, deployed for quite a bit. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk to a counselor. But I did not connect at all. I felt more like I was just venting other than just, like, being like, you know, this sucks, or I hate how this goes. And, and they don't talk back. They just, like, look at you like you're, okay, here's some pills. You're good to go. Yeah. And, you know, as the other last two people I've talked to, they've been more of like, hey, do some breathing exercises. Um, make time for yourself every day, even if it's for five minutes to get yourself a cup of coffee somewhere or take a shower or go for a quick walk. Something every day is going to make a complete difference. And it has. I've been doing that. And it's just so crazy what five minutes, 10 minutes can do for your, for you and your your soul and your body. So with my brother, I felt like he just wasn't being um, helped in the way that he needed. He didn't have the tools to to get out of that. Yeah. And, you know, he was really smart. He was just, you know, misunderstood. And, you know, people were just quick to, here's some ADHD pills. Here's some pills so you can sleep. You're good. That's such a bad system. That's just like, you can't always handle everything on medication. You know, you have to find the root of a lot of these issues. Yeah, the medication will eventually stop working. Yeah. And then what? Yeah. And see, my issue was that I got put on some Zoloft. And then when I got to the point when my uncle passed away in April, I displayed emotion for like two seconds and then I was like, fine. And it wasn't that I wasn't upset. My body just couldn't 
react to the news. And so that's why I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, I don't want to feel like this, you know. Zoloft, that's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So serotonin is the everything's all right chemical, the neurotransmitter that your brain makes to tell you everything's chill. Yeah. So everything was just fine because you you had extra serotonin. Yeah. Yeah. And it was crazy because we were actually at the children's hospital because my son had like a really weird rash and kept having fevers. And with COVID and everything, you know, it was already scary enough for us and him being, he wasn't even two yet. So then I was already stressed out there and I was hearing kids like screaming and crying. And it's also like a cancer hospital for children. Mm-hmm. And then when I got the news and then, yeah, that's when I snapped out of it. I was like, you know what? Like, this isn't working for you anymore. You need to figure out what's the next step. Yeah. You don't want to just be numb the rest of your life. Yeah. So you say you're taking antidepressants now? No, I'm completely off of oh, them. Oh, you're off them. Yeah. It's been two months. Okay. So yeah. did you go through any kind of uh, withdrawals? Um, yeah, I felt crazy. My emotions were like up and down. I had a horrible headache. I think that was my biggest symptom. I've heard that happen. Was the headache. And it just, I couldn't shake it. Like I would take like ibuprofen, Tylenol, whatever. Nothing would make it go away. Um, the mood swings were insane. But then once I got off of it, I just kind of felt like I was like, you know, like when it's raining like crazy and it's like windy. I felt like that at one point, but then, you know, when it, like, the storm calms down, that's how I felt. I'm like, holy shit, like, did I really just go through all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but now I just started, like, going to the gym and eating better and just kind of, like, finding things to do and spending time with myself. So, I love that stuff just because it makes such a difference if you haven't been doing it. I'm I'm in the same boat, but um, I got this steel mace from on it. It's, like, it's a big metal steel rod with a ball on the end and Mm. uh it's like what you'd bash a head in with in medieval times and that's a workout tool now yeah so i'm I'm doing that and i feel so much better just after just a couple weeks of doing it four times a week yeah it's crazy how much it just relieves me of like that tension that's always present it it doesn't turn it off but it just lowers it a lot because i know that i'm at least doing something that's good for me that I don't necessarily want to do. But yeah. once I started, it's fun. It's like, those are good habits. Yeah, I've seen those too. I mean, I probably would have to buy one because the gym I go to, well, it's LA Fitness. So their machines are okay. I started going to a different location because the older location that I was going to, their machines were just not being updated. Mm. And I just felt like I was just wasting my time trying to figure out the machine half the time. So I just went over to the next one. But yeah, um, I've been doing that, and then at my job, there's right across the street, there's like a personal training, uh, massage, therapy, kind of yoga studio. And it's funny because the guy, he's been trained, he's trained this, a lot of the Seahawks players for oh, wow. a while. And we're literally like right up the hill from the Seahawks training facility, which is really cool. That is cool. So yeah, he has a lot of experience, and yeah, that's probably my, my next step, probably coming into the next year, mm-hmm. going there maybe once a week. Do you have any injuries or old old stuff that's fucking with you, making it harder to work out? Um, yeah, so my meniscus on my left knee tore, I think it was like sophomore year. It was right before I started playing golf. That's why I picked up golf in high school because uh-huh. the doctor wouldn't sign off on my physical to play sports anymore. Basketball, you know, I was a big competitive runner, couldn't do any of that. So um, that one has been my one of my biggest issues. So I can't do stairs. I can't run on a treadmill. Um, if I want to run, I have to do it on the track or like grassy, Something kind soft. of outside. 
So for now, I actually just been doing the weightlifting. And then I got in a, well, I got hit by a drunk driver, um, 2017 and my whole left hip kind of like, like smushed into my body to where my T-band on the left side of my leg was just so tight. I could barely like walk. I remember there was a few times at work where I had to throw myself on a table because I felt like I couldn't take another step. Wow. It was just pulled completely tight. It was so tight. And then this, from all the swelling and inflammation, my sciatic nerve was also being affected. And so I was still waiting to start physical therapy for that, but I was already going to the chiropractor. But my T-band was so tight that my physical therapist could literally see it like kind of like shaking uh-huh. on the side of my leg. You, he could touch it and you could see it like waving. Did you have forth. snapping hip syndrome with that? Did yeah. Make a big pop when you try to move. Oh, and I still do. Yeah. It sucks because when I start feeling kind of stiff, I have to do a certain thing. And even though my chiropractor said don't do that, I just, there's no way that I cannot. To, just, to, to stretch it out? Yeah. Like to just make, and then to pop it because sometimes like I'll feel like it's starting to move more inwards. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because I'll probably have to deal with that for the rest of my life. I'm sure you will. Yeah. It, our bodies are just like a big wad of rubber bands pulling all thousand different directions. It is. It just makes sense to me that eventually some imbalances are going to form just based on the way you live your life. It's funny that you say that because um, one of the massage therapists from that studio I told you about across the street from my job, he told me, he recommended, because I had told him about my issues. Um, he's like, you should just do some like stretches right before you go to bed and just release all of that energy and like stiffness. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's not going to completely cure you 100%, but you're going to feel better in the morning because there's just times I wake up and I'm like so stiff and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do this. You know, I'm 32 now. How am I going to feel in 10 years from now? Exactly. I started thinking That's that too. That's my biggest worry. And I probably shouldn't worry about that now, but I'm worried. I think now is the per- the perfect time to worry about it because yeah. we're at an age where we can still steer the ship, uh, avoid the collision with the iceberg. You know, mm-hmm. we're far enough away, hopefully. I mean, what do I know? You never yeah. know how life is going to shake out. But it feels like, you know, we're far we're far enough from middle age to where if we live healthy from now on, starting now, we'll be all right. Live a normal, healthy life. You know, that's what I mean, really. Yeah. Like if, if you wait till 40 – Mm, you're fucked. Yeah. You got an old fat body by that time and <laughs> it's just not going to bounce back like a 30-year-old body. Yeah, and even like after 25, I don't know about you, but for me when I turned 25, like that's when I started feeling like less energy, the less mobility, and it just keeps going. And then especially if you have, if you have kids, you know. Mhm. That's oh, for you're sure. just already running on empty as it is. For me, I wake up I'm like, damn it, I'm more tired than I was in, when I went to bed. Yeah. You caffeinate all the time. Got to do it. When I don't, I'm just like, I can feel it like midday. And I'm like, I didn't drink my coffee. But then by then, it's too late for me to drink coffee because I'm so sensitive to caffeine. Mm-hmm. And I always forget to get decaf to have it at work. So Sensitive like to where you get shakes and get jittery and shit? Um, not so much. It's just like, I feel like I'm on crack at, in the middle of the night. Just can't have you ever sleep. smoked crack? No. How do you know? I would guess. I would guess that's what it feels like. Yeah. It makes you feel, quote unquote, cracked out. Yeah. Yeah. So I just know after 2.30, 3 o'clock, you better not drink any caffeine because you're probably not going to bed until like 2, 3 in the morning. Yeah. I tell myself that and I'm like, yeah, but if I don't drink the caffeine, what am I supposed to do between hours of 2 and 5 p.m.? Just Mm -hmm. feel tired? Yeah. 
And I, the answer to that is yes. And I can't do it most days. I'm like, I'll, I'll still have caffeine till I try. I mean, I don't even think about it anymore after four, but I'll drink a cup of coffee at four. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I sleep pretty poorly. I talk about that on the podcast all the time. <laughs> I complain about my sleep quality and then I, I boast about my caffeine intake. Like, Come on, dude. I, <laughs> I hear myself. You balance it out. <laughs> yeah. It's not a healthy way to go. Yeah, no, I've, I have issues sleeping too. And I don't know how if growing up I always wanted to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I think about, man, I should have really have slept. It should have taken up the time when you had it. Yeah. Yeah. Like when my toddler's crying and I know he needs a nap, I'm like, just go to sleep. I wish I could just stop what I'm doing and go to sleep. Yeah. I'm like, no, but I have to be running the ship. You get to go take a nap and I have to keep doing whatever I have to keep doing. Yeah, that's why old people sleep so much because they remember <laughs> and they're like, ah. By that time, they're just like, now I can just sleep. Yeah. And they don't have a lot of shit going on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, some old people do. So I like the mental health topic. Let's let's stick on that for a little bit. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, no, I don't even know why my counselor, psychologist, I don't even know what he was actually. Just um, he was like a guy at Madigan on Fort Lewis. Just somebody know. who could give you some pills. They're like, here you go. Here's your counselor. And here's some medication so you feel like you can't sleep. But this one was – the Zoloft was better because I actually felt like a difference, but – Man, I puked so hard one time because I took some Zoloft uh, in college. Yeah, the nausea part, yeah. You have to start off on a really low dose before you can start feeling something. But that was one of the symptoms was nausea, just kind of like your emotions are like, eh, kind of like all over the place. And then, like, one minute you're, like, super happy, and then the next minute you don't know why you're so sad. But it levels out after a couple weeks, Oh, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. That's when you're like, oh, wow, like, this is how it feels to be, you know, happy. You're like, is this what normal people feel like? Yeah, I'm like, am I better I'm than everyone? Devastated? <laughs> um, yeah. What is the deal with that? And I liked what you said about this area because there are so many depressed people in this community and that I don't even think people realize it. Yeah. It's just, like, everywhere. And it's it's the fucking weather. I know yeah. you're not supposed to talk about weather on podcasts, but the weather here is something special. It's soul crushing. Yeah. The last five days, it has been dark. Like already, even if it was sunny, it's like 18 hours of darkness, six mm-hmm. hours of light because it's the shortest time of year. But the cloud cover is making it so there, there's just no sun ever. Like it's so, so dark and it's depressing. Yesterday at like 10 a.m., I looked outside and it looked like 7 p.m. And I was just like, God damn it. I like I it really affects me so much. I'm not I I am far enough removed from my own experience of it that I can be like, wow, I'm I'm really feeling sad for no reason. Mm -hmm. And I can recognize that I'm not actually sad. And I'm just like yesterday I wasn't sad. This morning, I wasn't sad. It's probably just this fucking weather and the fact that you don't have any light. You're, you're, I mean, even your skin has photoreceptors on it. You, yeah. need, you need light. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to be cave dwellers. And it's, it's a very noticeable effect. Yeah, and I think maybe over here it gets darker maybe a little bit later from where I'm at. I swear, it's like 4 o'clock and I look outside and I'm like, why is it dark? But I just hate how dark it is. Like, And even though I'm in the city, I'm kind of now in like more of a neighborhood where there's like not so much city lights hitting it. And it's just hard to remember. It's only four, but I kind of just want to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I woke my daughter up this morning to take her to my mom's. And we go really early because m- my son has weightlifting. So I drop him off at seven at the gym. 
and then drive my three-year-old up to drop her off at Grammy's. And I get her out of bed by being like, Amelia, do you want to go to the bakery with me and get a hot donut? And she's usually pretty okay with that. And so we got up, got out of bed and we dropped Sawyer off and then went to the bakery. And after we got the donuts, she's like, are we going home and going to bed now? <laughs> and I was like, no, it's morning. And she's like, what? It's, and I was like, yeah. And she's like, I thought it was still nighttime. <laughs> and, or she thought it was like PM and we were getting ready. And it was like the end of the day. She just, the, she's just young enough to where it's, it's still time of day is still confusing. She still uses yesterday to refer to any time before today. Mm. She's like, remember yesterday when I was a little baby? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I remember four years ago when you were a little baby, a three, long time three ago. years ago. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny the time of day. I'm glad we're almost to the, what is it, the solstice or winter equinox? Solstice. Is it the winter solstice? Yeah, equinox yeah. is on the on the other sides, right? The Is that right? Solstice is the, the summer winter and solstice. winter. Yeah. Equinox is spring and fall. I don't even I know if so. that's right. You should probably Google that. I will. I'll do one of those dunes. <laughs> Just to clarify, the solstice, there being two, the winter solstice in December, usually around the 20th, and the summer solstice in June, also around the 20th. They represent the longest and shortest days of the year based on hours of daylight. The equinox is in the spring and fall, usually in March and September. And those are the days that represent when the amount of sunlight and the amount of darkness are approximately equal. So halfway between the winter solstice and the summer solstice, you get your spring equinox. Halfway between winter and summer, on the other side, you get your fall equinox. And that's basically how it goes. So, sorry for this little tangent. If you're not interested, and if you are, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Back to the show. Yeah, no, I never really thought about that, how little kids might not even be able to tell, like, oh, it's daytime, it's morning time, nighttime. Yeah. Because um, my son seems to have a lot of energy in the, in the evening, nighttime. Mm-hmm. We try to wear him out during the day, but he just always has those big bursts of energy. And I'm like, yeah, we we should really go to bed. But the only way to unwind him is probably to give him a bath. Some people are just wired that way. Are you a night person or a morning person? I'm a night person. And then, you know. Being, so it's probably your fault. It probably. I'm a bartender. So, you know, that lifestyle is usually your shifts start pretty late and then you get off pretty late. But thankfully for this job that I have now, it's kind of like I just work four 10-hour shifts and I'm three. I'm off three days and we close at nine o'clock. So um, we're out of there. That's like early 9:30. for a bar. Yeah, it's like a restaurant bar. It's like a little like um, family-owned business. Um, it's in the Newcastle areas, which is mm. like Renton, Bellevue. It's just like nestled in between like a new kind of community development. So nothing really happens after like nine o'clock. And, um, yeah, it's just nice to go home before 1 a.m. Oh, I bet. I'm sure you've worked at other places that didn't close out early. Yeah. The last place I was at, I was the bar manager for the last actual location because they have, like, four locations. But our times were, like, 11 or 12 on the weekends. And then, you know, a good hour, hour and a half, depending on how busy you were, cleaning the bar. Mm -hmm. And if you're by yourself, then you're screwed. I bet. You're probably the last one out even after the dishwashers. When the dishwashers would leave, that's when I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, fuck my life. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I just want to go home. But, yeah, no, this other place totally is working out better for me and for the kids. So, You get more flexibility? 
Um, a little bit. Like, we're closed Mondays just because it's, like, the slowest day and, like, the owners kind of work there. So that way everyone kind of has the same day off. But with the kids, I really need Wednesdays and Thursdays off. Mainly Thursdays because Erica's, um, she's a case study right now for UW for orthodontics. So in lieu of her going every Thursday or once a month, she's getting free braces because she had like a crooked tooth, like bottom tooth. And when your tooth is like completely turned, your, um, what is it called? Her roots were like curved. And if your roots are curved, your tooth can fall out. Oh. So they have to oh, correct that. Oh, it's not that. screwed in right. So it's just, it has to be straight up and down for it to be anchored properly. So yeah, she got free braces out of that. That's as cool. As long as I'm taking her, that's what she's getting. But you and know. They, and they're taking x-rays and studying her, her mouth? Yeah, and she's pretty much kind of like a, like a study for one of the students that is about to graduate. They're already considered doctors, but they only pick like maybe 10 students out of that whole class mm-hmm. that are able to work in that clinic and UW. Cool. It's like, yeah, so it's really cool. But That place is fancy. Super fancy. I got referred there for my TMJ oh. and I didn't go because it was too expensive. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I, yeah, it's, it's really nice. You would think that it would be a little bit cheaper just because it's like kind of like a school, but they have such great technology there that I kind of feel like they have to make up for that. It's like I got my haircut at the at this beauty school for half price. So what are you guys doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, sometimes that's where you get the best haircuts mm-hmm. because you know they're up to the what is it? Like the newest studies for whatever cutting hair, dyeing yeah. hair. They take the risks though too. Oh yeah. <laughs> if, if you're if you might get a trendy hairstyle that hasn't really caught on yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I never really minded that. I kind of like having crazy hair. It's not it's not a really big problem because you can just shave it off. Yeah. Like people like if that was ever uh, like the prize for a bet, like oh I'm do- doing that for sure. I got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Hair is temporary. It's yeah, no, it no goes problem. back. It's not like you're getting a tattoo. Yeah. If you lose this bet, you got to get a tattoo of a banana or something. Who like something jackassish. Yeah. I would not do that. Like, <laughs> Speaking of tattoos, I have. Um, well, my arms are now starting to get oh. a little bit more covered up. I don't even think, but I mean, they're not the greatest ones, but I have a cover up here because stupid me decided to get my ex-husband's name tattooed. You got a name tattoo? A week before we got married. Oh man. And I swear ever since we got those tattoos, shit hit the fan. <sighs> that's probably and always pe- the way it is. People really were like, dude, you know, that's bad luck, right? And I'm like, oh no, it's just a tattoo. But I feel like it kind of was because that weekend before we were going to get married, like, we started arguing about things that we had never argued about before. And then I was like, am I getting cold feet? What's happening? Like, it was just such a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it was the tattoo. But you went through with it. Yeah. How long did you stay married? <laughs> like, three years. Well, legally, probably a lot longer, but we separated after, like, three and a half years. Just certain things were not working out and with the whole thing with my brother that was like the biggest stressor in everyone's life in my family so he was getting out of the army I moved down here from Tacoma to be with my parents and um, he got a job here well across the river but it just wasn't working out for us in general and we were already at the point of like what's our next step and other things happened so that's where I'm like okay I'm done yeah so then he went his way, and then probably a year and a half after, that's when I'm like, you know what? I'm going to move to Seattle. Like, I just need something new, get out of the peninsula, start my life over. And it was probably the best decision that I've made. And so you, you've been in Seattle that whole time since? Yeah. It's 
How long's that been? Since 2015. Yeah. Okay, so getting six seven years, seven years almost. Six, seven years, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was a rough start there at first, you know, because, like, I didn't have a lot of extra money. I actually went to start helping my sister's baby daddy's family to work at a medicinal weed store. Oh. And they had to grow up more up north towards Monroe. So they needed somebody to help them run a couple of things. And so I would split my time between their Linwood store and their Monroe store. It was probably one of the best jobs I've actually ever had. People were just so nice. And I was just so happy to see people feel good. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, they were high, but they were also sick. And that was making a huge difference for Oh, because it's a medical place. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. This was way before they started doing the recreational. Well, if it was 2015, would have been – there was recreational going. Yeah. It was a lot smaller, though. Oh, yeah. It, it was before stuff was really popping off. It, like, it, it became legal in 2012. And in December, I believe. And so t- 2013 was the first year when stores were even possible. They didn't really have any until the end of 2013. So you were right there at the beginning. Yeah. I went to a bunch of medical places before the recreational market was going because I went to college in Humboldt County. So when I was 18, there I could go in these places. If I had a friend who had a medical card, which I did, and it was cool. It was amazing. But it was way different than it is now. It was like a small little counter usually, and everything was behind it. Nothing had fancy packaging. You walk into one of these places now, and it's just like a rainbow of colors, and everything's just like the marketing has really been beefed up. It's Everything's yeah. exciting. I've, I've enjoyed watching that process unfold. Plus, it's been so good for the state to have revenue, mm-hmm. and it actually has not led to any more crime or anything like that. It feels kind of validating to for all the people who are saying all along, like, why is weed illegal? Yeah. It's ridiculous. It makes zero sense. We could be making money off of it. Yeah, and then there's, like, so many people in jail probably still, like, yeah, doing their time crazy. for some minor offense that wouldn't even be a big deal now. Yeah. There's yeah. still people in jail for... Yeah, for drug offenses that aren't even illegal now. Yeah. It's, that should be changed, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You should agree. just get out. Yeah, because, I mean, back in the day, if you had anything on you, you know, you're screwed. But, yeah, with the medicinal thing, it just kind of sucked. It kind of go away in the way that it did for people with illnesses and stuff. Just because back when I was working at the store, like you said, it was like a small kind of counter. There wasn't anything too crazy. Where I worked at, we had like a little like baked goods counter, candies, um, the oils, and then all of the flour was like on the walls from like middle shelf and then all to the side, sativa, indicas, hybrids. And people were actually able to like touch what they were going to buy and smell it. And, you know, now with it being recreational, that's the only downfall is that you don't get to touch or smell what you're buying yeah that is a big problem and it's just kind of going to be the luck of the draw you know what you're going to buy so oregon lets you smell it Mm. but washington doesn't yeah i haven't had any experience with the oregon stuff well i don't even do it anymore it's funny because at the time there i never felt like i needed to use it i mean i was Mm -hmm. just working there and i had so much knowledge that i was able to obtain a job doing it and people loved my knowledge. and You've always been around people who smoked weed. Yeah. And, you know, being there, you get to learn more because you talk to your growers and you talk to people that are sick and you would see what was their best way to medicate to feel better. Mm-hmm. Some people like to ingest it in a juice. Some people like the oil and some people just like the basic, you know, smoking. So I like all of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding anyway. I don't smoke drugs. 
<laughs> Just crack, right? <laughs> <laughs> I actually never have smoked crack. No. That's that's no lie. No, I, I don't. Th- that's never appealed to me. I always wonder how people get addicted to crack. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> People are just like, hey, let me try this crack really quick. I saw a really funny meme recently that said uh, it, the CDC should reward everybody who gets their vaccination and let you smoke a little crack as a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Get some happy drug in you. Yeah. I don't know. I think drugs are funny, and I think they're, in, in like, just a purely academic sense, really interesting. Mm-hmm. They're magic. They're, they're, they're modern magic. Yeah. Like, it, you, there's fucking elixirs and potions that you ingest, and then crazy things start happening to your reality. And that has always just jumped out to me as something I would like to be a part of. <laughs> Speaking of psychedelic, that kind of reminds me. Uh, I think it was a long time ago. I don't even think I had my daughter yet, but it was all of, like all of us. Like I don't know if I'm allowed to say their names, and sorry if I say your name. We but... can bleep out whoever okay. wants to be bleeped. Let's go for it. No, but it was like the Chalker twins, me, you, the Carey brothers, my sister. I don't know what we were doing. We decided to just walk from the Carey's house up towards the beach in Ocean Park. And I think we were looking for shrooms or you were trying to show us like where we could find them. Uh, and you, this is I in think, high school? Yeah. Some t- sometime. That was right when I started learning about them. Yeah. And I remember you were super into that. Mm-hmm. I still am. <laughs> yeah. though It was just so funny. I always remember that time we were all looking for it. Yeah. And... I remember that too. It was like out by Pacific Pines State yeah. Park. And it was funny because, I don't know, we came across this, like, house that looked like it. We, I had never seen that house before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we found beer. I don't know if it was inside or outside the house, but we had found old beer and, like, a diary and people talking about staying there. And Oh, yeah. And then I we remember. heard a really, really weird noise. So we all got into, I think we were driving in Cody's little Honda. It we all, Cody. like, crammed into that car and we, like, sped off. And we were, like, or maybe Colton. The silver Colton? silver car? Or was like it green? Little, so, I think it was a little silver Honda Accord or something Colton. like that. I don't know how I remember this. Yeah. Memory unlocked. Yep. But, yeah, I was I was thinking about that not too long ago because um, I saw some mushrooms growing near my house. And oh, yeah. I was like, oh, I remember that one time. Uh, there's a lot of psilocybin-containing mushrooms in Seattle. Mm-hmm. People planted them on purpose. <laughs> in the 90s, they inoculated a bunch of industrial mulch companies. Like their whole stockpiles, they inoculated them with spores for psilocybe cyanescence, wavy caps. Mm. So if you go to any malls or churches or hospitals that have landscape gardens, like with little shrubs and trees and stuff with bark, mulch, you'll find shrooms. Yeah. Okay, so right here I was actually referring to something I believe I read in a book called Psilocybe Mushrooms of the World by Paul Stamets. And I'm not positive about that. So I'm doing a little fact-checking mission, and I found on Wikipedia that it says, In the United States, psilocybe cyanescence occurs mainly in the Pacific Northwest, stretching south to the San Francisco Bay Area. It can also be found in New Zealand, Western Europe, Central Europe, and parts of West Asia. The range in which psilocybe cyanescence occurs is rapidly expanding, especially in areas where it is not native, as the use of mulch to control weeds has been popularized. This rapid expansion in range may be due in part to the simple expedient of psilocybe cyanescence mycelium having colonized the distribution network of wood chip suppliers and thus being distributed on a large scale within commercial mulch. Although it has been speculated that psilocybe cyanescence native habitat is the coniferous woodlands of the northwestern United States or coastal dunes of the Pacific Northwest, and there is no widely accepted explanation 
for Psilocybe cyanescens' original habitat. January 2001, Aliens in the Flower Beds, the Fungal Biodiversity of Ornamental Wood Chips in Field Mycology. Okay, so I think that basically confirms my theory. Industrial piles of wood chips, bark mulch, were inoculated with spores from wavy caps. And who knows if that was done by some kind of mycelial gorillas, warriors for the fungal species, spreading spores, little Johnny, Johnny mushroom spores. Or if it was somebody on the inside, who knows? We'll never know. But it happened. Carry on. Anyway, that's a side note. Um, <laughs> I, I remember that very, very vaguely. But we had so many Ocean Park adventures up there. I love growing up near the beach, especially around high school time, because it's you just always have somewhere to get energy out. You can always go to the beach and just, you know, fuck around. It's yeah. fun. Even though our beach is, like, very inhospitable, it's not the same as going to the beach in Huntington right. Beach or anything like that. But it's a different thing. It's, a, it's special in its own way. Yeah, no, I, I definitely miss that living up in Seattle, you know, because you could just walk over to the beach in Seattle. I mean, they have like Alki Beach. That's not even really a beach. It's on a bay. There's water around. Yeah. And everything's very paved and, and you know. And I kind of live near this one place called, uh, people call it Redondo Beach. But honestly, it's a Spanish word. It's Redondo, which means like circled. So we live right up on the hill mm-hmm. and we can just go down. It's like a boardwalk and everything. And you can see like the tide coming in and out. So that's like probably like the closest thing, but it's not the same as like walking down with your kids or whatever and going to the beach on a really hot day, random hot day on the peninsula. Yeah. I totally miss that. We get more of those than we used to. Mm-hmm. Summertime here is not so bad anymore. It, remember when we were kids, it was like very drizzly mm-hmm. and I mean, it wasn't cold, like but over, it was, well, it was overcast, like overcast for like most of the summer. Yeah. We don't really have rain anymore in June or July or July, August. Last two years, it's been super dry. I, I notice it a lot because not only the weed schedule, noxious weeds, which I pay attention to because of my job, like plants grow at the same time every year or they're supposed to. They should shoot up at the same time. They should open their blooms around the same time. And they should drop seeds around the same time every year. Mm-hmm. And they don't anymore. Hmm. Uh, but beyond that, mushrooms. So like picking chanterelles. I like to pick chanterelles in the fall. Usually I can start picking in July because we get enough just sporadic rain. And I know where there's a little hidden pockets where it's kind of like a microclimate. Like yeah. you go down a big gully and it's it's kind of wet. It's almost like foggy in there because it's so humid. And it's um, – it wasn't – they were all dry it's way later, like month, a month and a half later hmm. than normal. But I remember Madeline and I, we went right before I moved – to some, I don't know what state park specifically, but it was in Warrington. And we were looking for mushrooms, but we didn't have very good luck for anything edible. But it was just kind of cool, like you said, how you would see, like, the fog in those little kind of divots of, mm-hmm. you know, land. And it was kind of cool. It was like it's you're fun. in a little... Reminded me of that movie, Fern Gully. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of the same thing. That's funny. Yeah. I think of that all the time. Yeah. It's, that's one that... I don't even know why it's... Like, I didn't even love that. I actually kind of disliked that movie. It, yeah, no, it's... It's creepy. I always see it on, like, streaming thing, and I'm like, yeah. Hippie, I don't know. Hippie it, shit. It gives me some weird vibe. It's I propaganda. Propaganda. It really is. Yeah. It's environmentalist propaganda, which is the best kind of propaganda, in my opinion, but it's propaganda nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there being very uh, much some anti-development themes in that movie. I remember. And it's... I It was... 
powerful enough to recognize as a little kid because we were young when that came out. Mm -hmm. But I remember seeing, I can picture bulldozers coming in and knocking down a forest and like all the fairies getting all fucked up from it. Yeah, I remember that. I know. Mario, when he was here, told me that in Mexico, the culture is really not okay with homosexuals. Not at all. It's, um, It's funny that you say that because not too long ago, I posted something on Facebook there's just like this really popular kind of Mexican group called Grupo Firme. And one of the guys in the group, he's gay. He got proposed to after one of their sets. Sounds and... like more than one of the guys in this group are gay. That sounds like a gay group. <laughs> Femme group? Is that, did you say Grupo Firme? Uh, Grupo Firme, which means like a firm oh, group. Oh, gotcha. Um, they started off just kind of doing like covers of other people and they got a little bit more hype and now they're like oh, they're a band? selling out like I pictured like a centers. Facebook group oh no they're called they're literally well and I don't know how it is in other countries of Latin America but in Mexico there's a lot of grupos they don't play their own instruments they have other people behind them mm-hmm. um, when they're called bandas then it's because they got the whole like you know they're making the whole music they got the whole awako high school band (laughs) behind them but um yeah no this guy got proposed to and i was reading all the comments and they were just all sad comments you know and i posted it and somebody commented and said uh well i had said that que viva el amor you know long live love or you know that's the easiest translation and somebody had said oh why are they why are people so upset about this you know and she's american you know so I was like, oh, well, because in our community, um, a lot of people don't accept accept that. And there's just been so many times as to where parents kick out their children or, you know, they just dishonor them. Yeah. It's sad. Um, it's sad for the parents and the kids. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't. It's not like you wake up one day and like, oh, by the way, I'm gay now. Like, that just I'm sure that happens. I have a lot of, you know rainbow friends and i hear a lot of people say that i've never really got it because even if it was the case why would that change anything yeah i don't know why it affects people so much like why do you care if another person's kissing him if another guy's kissing a man or another woman's kissing a woman like why does that affect you exactly directly or especially like with marriage like why does that affect you like if you can get married and you want to do it go ahead but why does that matter if somebody else wants to do it with the same gender or You know, whatever they want to call it. I've I've gone back and forth the different ways that it can make sense to people. And I really think it's rooted in religious, um, just, what's the word, Um, adherence. Like Mm -hmm. people who are brought up with a really strong religious bent, they feel a responsibility to uphold a, a, a standard that they've established through the group that they're a part of. And sadly... Catholicism has a lot of rules that are not that great. Uh, other than, I mean, aside from their other obvious problems, but yeah. the Catholic Church is very entrenched in Mexican culture. It seems like with, yeah. a, with a lot of families, and it could be rooted there. It's it's changed over time, and like the girl, somebody had commented on my post. It was another person, and she said. Um, it has nothing to do with the culture. I'm like, it does. It's It has a lot to do with the culture. And just because you were brought up that way doesn't mean that you also have to believe it. Yeah. And push it on people like, oh, being anti-gay or whatever. And I said, that's the huge difference that you can grow up learning something. And, you know, in our community and our 
heritage country, whatever, it's always so pushed on you as a kid. Like, you got to get baptized. You got to do your first communion. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I did all of that. But like with my kids, I feel like I'm not pushing all of those things so quickly. Like, yeah, we're Catholic, but do we practice all the Catholic stuff? No. Yeah. It's just common sense and uh, wanting for other people to have equality, Yeah, you know, is the thing that I kind of balance myself with. I, if anything, I'm probably more spiritual. We don't even really go to church anymore. You can't really do it and feel comfortable now that COVID is in the world. Like, oh, yeah, I haven't been to church once since the pandemic started. Uh, I don't even think I have because, you know, being Catholic, you're supposed to baptize your kids when they're like really little. And, yeah, like and Leo's right away. Too, and I'm probably not going to – if I do baptize them, it's going to be in Mexico. I'm probably hoping to go next year finally. So, um, yeah, but it's just such a big pressure and having like a big party and all this. Stuff. I think it's crazy. Yeah. Honestly, just a waste of money. Half the time, people that push so much religion are probably some of the worst people that I know. Sadly, it, they really can be. And it's because they're afraid. I really think a lot of that is based in just straight-up fear. I remember as a kid especially, that was a major component of my faith. It was fear-based. Mm-hmm. It was like I was under the impression that if I didn't believe these things wholeheartedly, that I was going to suffer for eternity. Yeah. And that's a really scary thought, especially for a child. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't go away. It, that thought is still at the back of my head. I've just kind of covered it up with knowledge and, and yeah. you know, experiences that don't support it. I don't think that that it's possible to be perfect. So I don't think that it, that God, in whatever form God takes, I don't think that he's going to be nearly as detail-minded as a lot of religions like to think. Mm-hmm. And back to get back, bring it back to the gay thing, if it was such a big deal to him, he would have mentioned it more. In the Bible, it's very seldom mentioned. Yeah. It's mentioned like twice, maybe. It's once, really, and it's it's very vague. It's not in the Ten Commandments. There's nothing about it there. Yeah. People are just afraid. They don't. They want to make sure to not end up in hell. They're afraid of going to hell, and they think that somehow by endorsing other people's lifestyle, which they've been taught is wrong, they are going to you know, make a fatal error. And that's kind of sad, but you can't – I don't think it makes them terrible people. They're just scared. Yeah. And it, homophobia is not a fear necessarily – I mean homophobia te- in a technical sense is a fear of gay. But in practice, I think a lot of times it's a fear of going to hell mm-hmm. from the people who are, are exhibiting those kind of toxic behavioral traits. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's – um yeah, that's super, super heavy. In It's gotten a lot better. Like where I'm from, from Jalisco, Mexico, um, that's the state where Guadalajara is. Especially Guadalajara, it's super gay friendly. It's like a Seattle there. Mm. I actually have a trans cousin. She um, is now living her best life and she does nails and she just looks so happy. And I'm really happy that she's able to do that publicly and be herself because I know a, a lot of people can't. And she has all the support from our family, which is great. Thankfully, my family has always been super open-minded when it comes to those things. So, yeah, she she's going to fashion school and just doing everything that she wants. So I'm happy for her. It just sucks when I see other people that can't live their true self just because of their environment or their family. Yeah, it, it's a big deal to change your gender. That's I, I can't imagine going through that, how hard that would be. Yeah. I'm glad I, I – I mean – 
relatively speaking, I have it pretty easy, straight white male. <laughs> but yeah. Living the life. Living the life, <laughs> living the dream. I'm a few years late on that dream, but you know, it's, I mean, it's not the perfect time for the straight white male. Our day has yeah. maybe come and gone. <laughs> uh, I'm okay with it. We're still doing okay. Really, I think that the time of, of grouping people that way should end. Like mm-hmm. Instead of just trying to flip the script and, and give all the benefits that have been given to these privileged groups, instead of trying to give it now to, to just other groups and make them the privileged groups, let's just spread it around evenly. Yeah, That's the way it makes sense. Just like Oprah, you get a car, you get a Everybody car. gets a car. Everybody gets a car. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of, you know, going with time is always progressing to do better. Yeah. Um, that's. I, I mean, that's the goal. People f- seem to forget that, you know. Yeah. And I also hate the, oh, um, how come they get it, but we don't? And oh, I hate that shit. That's one of my least favorite oh my traits gosh, in a person. Like, Entitlement. Even at like at work, you know, there's just there's always going to be something that's going to be a lot easier to make than a freaking 16 ounce carne asada. It's going to take a while. And if you just order the enchiladas, your food is going to come out first. And I've had that like, oh, well, we ordered first. How come they got their food first? And I'm like, sir, you ordered a 16 ounce steak. Well done. Uh, Like so ruined. Yeah, it's like. No one's being favored. It just comes out a lot faster to make an enchilada or a burrito. No one's, like, picking on you. Like, you're okay. Yeah. Can you say that in a nice way to the customer? What do you actually say? Um, I'll, I'll just be like, oh, well, you know, your steak does take a little bit longer than an enchilada to make. Pretty much, you know. Oh, yeah. and then they're like, oh. It's, it's like they don't really think about it. Yeah. And I this feel like. McDonald's, bro. <laughs> yeah, drive through. Can I get a 16-ounce steak? It's you already got, you done for you. just got them under you. a light back there. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's – I've I've learned a lot um, in the last eight years working in restaurants, especially in Seattle, and you just meet all types of people. Oh, I bet. And you just – as time goes on, you just learn how to kind of deal with them, and I'm just a pro at it now to where – I don't have this issue, this issue at my job now, but it's been to where I would have to go talk to tables for other people Mm-hmm. At my other job. Oh, you're the, can I speak with the manager? Yeah. And, you know, at one point I was the manager, but I was just so good at talking to customers um, and not pissing them off that my friends or coworkers would be like, hey, can you, like, help me out with this table? Mm-hmm. I just kind of knew how to, like. You're the Karen Wrangler. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of knew how to tiptoe around them and make them happy. And, yeah. you know, you're not always going to make everyone happy. People are just grumpy for no reason. Yeah, or, but if you, you know, don't match that with, with that energy, <laughs> it, it will go away. Yeah, that I've I've learned that too. Dealing with hostile people in my job, that I'm just gonna maintain my positive vibe. I'm just gonna project it at them, and hopefully it soaks in. Yeah, because that's sometimes all you can do. Yeah, kill them with kindness. Yeah, and even if they know you're full of shit because you're at work and you secretly hate them, they, which they do most of the time, know that when you're talking to somebody like they're an idiot, they don't like you. And, yeah. and everybody is aware of that. So, like, the relationship is not ambiguous. But when you just keep smiling and eating shit, the person just <laughs> gets tired of it and quits. Yeah. No, and, and pretty much when that happens, people just want to, like, egg you on and they just want to see a reaction. I don't even think that half the time they actually believe what they're saying. You know, not always. But I feel like in my experiences, it's always been, like, they just want to piss me off. Yeah. Has it ever worked? Oh, yeah. Especially... Have you ever lost your composure? Um, Probably... 
not like let's say work related probably in like relationships oh yeah um yeah that'd be crazy if you hadn't in relationships yeah no i like you're taking too much zoloft if you're not yelling at people at home (laughs) yeah no i i've been single for two years now and it's probably been the best decision for me right now but oh my last relationship was to where i just wanted to like I don't even know if I should be <laughs> just choke them. Like it was just like, why are you such a ridiculous person? And yeah, that's a very real feeling. You can talk about that stuff. It's just like not like I'm actually gonna go kill somebody, but yeah. just like Jesus, like shut the fuck up. Like yeah, you can talk about wanting to kill somebody as long as you don't actually go do it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just if somebody turns up dead, they'll ask some questions. <laughs> like Jeff, do you know what happened here? Yeah, I just happened uh, to have a recording where she said she wanted to choke him. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it just, we bumped heads and it was just like, he loved seeing me get so pissed off. Oh, that's so frustrating. But it's like, I know you're not trying to, you really don't believe this. You're just trying to piss me off. And yeah, they'd be like, oh, I just wanted to see how, if you're going to get mad. And I'm like, why? That's a good way to lose your life, sir. Why are you trying to cause conflict? Motherfucker almost got choked to death. Yeah. But, so that didn't work out then. No. And I don't know. I feel like relationships for me have been like shit. That sucks. It sucks. Yeah. I'm I'm 32 and divorced. <laughs> I think that that's the way it is for most people. It's like a series of shit relationships until one isn't. Yeah. Like, that's the way it was for me at least. And I didn't even know that all my relationships were bad because I was I was working so hard to make sure that they just stayed okay. Yeah. You know, like uh, now I don't have to do that you at all. I just want to make them happy, but it's like... You can do so much for someone and it's still not going to make them happy. Yeah. And if it you're has not compatible. nothing to do with you. It's just, yeah, you're not compatible with that person. Yeah. And that's what I would tell my son's father. I just don't feel like I'm for you. You know, we may have had our time together, but there's somebody out there for you that you're not going to have to want to piss off for fun. Yeah. So. It's weird how also you can feel like a totally different person when you're with somebody else. In my, my first marriage, I was very mad. I was angry a lot. And it was, I just always felt disrespected. And I was, I was an asshole about it. Like, yeah. in my memory, I like to make myself the hero because that's just how we do it. But I probably wasn't. I'm sure I wasn't. And I just felt like a shittier version of myself. Mm-hmm. Now I feel a lot better. I'm not mad really much at all. I'm way less mad. Actually, I, I haven't felt genuine rage for so long. That's a terrible feeling. Isn't that a great feeling, though, when you don't feel that? Yeah. And you kind of like, oh, I haven't felt like this in a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. That raged feeling when you're so mad you can just punch a hole through the wall. A lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a healthy place to be. I don't I don't go there anymore. And if I feel myself wanting to go there, because there's some part of us that likes it. Mm-hmm. Some part of us that is just like there's some sick satisfaction that comes with just like losing your shit. And just fucking raging out. Yeah. And I I don't know why that is really. But oh, I, it's probably because it, it creates results. Mm-hmm. And in our genetic history, our evolutionary history, it was probably rewarded. Because if you're in a tribe, the person who's the big crazy freak out and kill people guy is going to have respect. Even if it's not like reverence, people are going to – they're not going to like you, but they're going to respect you. You're yeah. probably going to get some pussy. and you're going to reproduce yeah i don't know it stayed in there for some reason it it helps us survive and uh and it feels good when it happens and then immediately after you're just like 
what have I done to my life? <laughs> There's holes in the wall and everything's spilled and everyone thinks you're an asshole. And they're right. But, yeah, I don't do that anymore. That's like a Skeletor moment for sure. Yeah. Just <laughs> lose it. But, uh, yeah. What were we talking about? Relationships. Relationships. How is it? <clears throat> do you try to date with having your kids? Is that complicated? Um. Yes and no. You'll either get the guy that's like, oh, I'm, I don't want to be a father. And that's when you're like, well, I'm not looking for another father. I'm looking for a companion for myself. Yeah. Or they're just totally cool with it. Or they just want to get laid, which is not my um, – that's not what I want. I think with having the kids and just being older, like, I'm actually, like, looking for a husband. And I think that eventually I will. It's just – the dating um, scene in Washington sucks. It looks like it. And it seems like in Seattle lately, I've realized that a lot of people know each other and it's just weird. Like in on online dating stuff, you think? Um, well, it's funny because I was doing online dating and it was either a catfish or they were married or some pitfalls. crap. Like I swear, like and then are being let on and, you know. Eventually, I was just like deleted all those apps, and then within between like other people like introduced me to whatever. I've maybe hung out with people, but it's never been anybody like, oh, I can see this going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, because eventually, you end up finding something that you don't like about that person, and Inevitably. even though every even though everyone's not perfect, I told myself that I'm not going to settle for less anymore after all of my failed relationships. Because now I know what red flags to look for. What are your biggest red flags? That's a great question. Uh, not Let's do texting that one. after a certain time. Oh, I love that. That usually is because they're in a relationship. Yeah, or they, they're the... just not interested in your stories about work. Yes. That's m- more my situation. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so not not texting after a certain time. Um, kind of. What about put their phone face down? Oh, that's the biggest. That was my ex's and I's biggest issue. He carried his phone in his pocket. He would always have his phone down. It was always on silent. It wouldn't be on vibrate. Mm-hmm. Um, I dated this one guy. I, I can't even say I dated him. We went out a couple of times, but he could only meet in the mornings. He's like, oh, I am I have availability between this time and this time. I'm like, what do you mean availability? He's He was Wife's like a work. finance guy. Yeah, then I realized that he wasn't texting me after like 7.30. And I'm like, oh, he's probably at home with his wife cooking. Yeah. And then after like this other time I met him up, didn't hear from him again. And then I saw that I was on Bumble and realized that his profile was deleted. And I'm like, man, okay, bye. Man. Yeah, no, not to generalize, but men are weird. They're also not very trustworthy. No. For like, the most part. That's why it makes me kind of like reluctant to want to date anybody. I don't blame you. And, uh, yeah, but I'm cool now, like, just doing my own thing, working, just working on other things. I probably have a lot to say about this, but I recently became legal in this country. Congratulations. I, yeah, uh, it was something that I hid for a long time, and I kind of wanted, like, to talk about it on here. But yeah, one of the biggest reasons why I actually moved to Seattle was because I was being harassed by a couple people in the community. Really? Um, because my ex-husband decided to be like, oh, yeah, by the way, she doesn't have papers. What a dick. Um, and it's something that I didn't have any control over. I was brought here as a child. You know, I'm like maybe one of three people in my whole entire family that don't have 
Are you one of the dreamers? Did you, are you, did DACA not protect you? Um, DACA did not come through for me because apparently I didn't have enough evidence that I had been here within those time frames that they give you that you have to like show proof of. Even I remember. I've been here since I <laughs> they was like They should ask me. I remember two. seeing you. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, I've been here since two, uh, since I was two, since 91. We were one of the first um, Hispanic families to live in the area. That's why everyone's married with someone in my family. Um, and then, yeah, just things just didn't work out and it sucks because people don't realize that it's not that people don't want to be legal. It's, you can't yeah, do it. It's, it's not always easy. an option. I, I don't know how it is now, but I know I don't think it's any easier. back in the day, if you like, let's say you were from Canada and you came here, you, you know, just to visit, you ended up staying here. You didn't really even have to show proof of legal entry to become like a resident. And with countries like Mexico that have such a high rate of people coming in here undocumented, it's like the government pushes up against them and puts a hold like, oh, well, you have to do this, this and this and that. And if you don't qualify, then you're screwed. Why do you think that is? Um, I feel like because there's no need in Canada. They're not flooding in here. They like it there. Yeah. The cartel isn't destroying their country. Right. Yeah. Um, apparently, yeah. I guess cartel violence doesn't really seem to be an issue. The Canadian when... cartels are probably wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably super polite, uh, and they probably do a great job. Yeah. But They probably provide universal health care, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's what I've learned is the need depends on each country. If there's a huge need then it's always going to be harder for you. And so and you have to show that you have some value, like if you're a doctor or something. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, so like, let's say you are a doctor in Mexico and you're not obviously going to come here legally. You just show that you have like property, some money in your bank account and that you're not just trying to come here to like suck the system dry. Yeah. Um, so most of the time that's really easy. But when you come here and you're just trying to make a living, like they make it almost impossible for you. And for me, my situation was that I was a child. I didn't have any say in coming here. And my mom was a child. My mom was a teen mom too. And her family brought us over here and they were all orphaned. So they were just trying to better themselves. You know, luckily her brothers were legal. And at the time my mom and her other siblings came like, Things happened, and some of them weren't able to handle their business. And surprisingly, my parents actually just left um, about a year ago. Left the... They went back to Mexico. Mm. Um, The whole Trump situation made it worse because, you know, my sister is a U.S. citizen, so that could have been in the works, but... She was born here, right? Yeah, yeah. Story, Oregon, and, you know, I just happened to be the one that... You're a little toddler, just... (laughs) there a couple years before her yeah and it's just so crazy because i've seen people that have gotten married and then they get their papers within like two or three years when i've seen people their whole lives and then they ended up getting deported or whatever and it sucks because like people don't want to do that like i said people want to be here legally but the government doesn't make it to where you can actually do it when you're the one in need yeah that's Um, like mario he'd been here for 20 years Working the entire time. He's involved in all kinds of charity organizations and volunteer groups and stuff. He's very valuable to the community. And they're trying to deport him. Yeah. It's just not cool. Yeah, no, it's just. And I know for a while, like, right when I moved up here, that whole, um, like, ice coming down here and picking people up from the canneries and stuff. That was, like, super fucked up. Because they're just pulling people out of their work that are just trying to work and have families. Yeah. 
And it who just, does that benefit? Yeah. Like it's it's hurting the canneries. It's hurting the people who live in this community because the economy is going to shit. It's hurting everybody. It doesn't help anybody. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, yeah, of course, everybody wants to do things the right way, but it just sucks because it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah, we should follow the laws, and the laws should be written to be fair and, and workable, that they yeah. can actually accomplish something. Yeah, because, like, um, for me, I just had to demonstrate that I've been paying my taxes, which is obviously very important to the government, um, and that I was just a good person for the community and that I didn't have, like, a felony or anything. And it's super freaking expensive. Really? Luckily, I'm in a position where I can pay for that, but... Probably at the end of the day, it's going to be like 15 grand out of my pocket. No shit. That's yeah. crazy. I yeah. didn't realize it was that expensive. I don't know. It's, it makes sense, though. It's so expensive. And I'm lucky because I know other people that are probably paying twice as much for their situations. You know, mm-hmm. me, I got off easy because um, it was so funny how it worked out. Um, I was working at a place and they found out that I wasn't legal. And, um, but I've always paid my taxes. Um, it's called an I-10 number that you use to file all that. And you don't get everything back, but you get a little bit of something back. And so that must exist strictly for people in your situation then. Um, it was mainly made, I believe for people, like, let's say like, um, there's a guy and he brings his wife over from another country, but somehow like they have to use her like as a dependent or whatever. It's just like a, another number to use in lieu of a social security number. Like you won't use it like one, but it's kind of like you fill in the blanks with that number. So you can be a trackable entity by exactly. the government standards. Yeah. yeah. And you can open up a bank account with that. You can get a car loan and probably even a house loan, like a mortgage, but you know, with obviously a high down payment and high APRs, but yeah. So you would just do that. And then, um, Pretty much what happened was I was let go and it sucked because I loved that job. Mm-hmm. I learned so, they so let much. You go? It was a tequila. It was a Mexican restaurant tequila bar. And um, I, I don't know. It sucked. I cried because I literally, you know, I'm a single parent and I was so used to making the decent money that I was making there. And I had just moved to my new place and I was like, shit, what am I going to do? So with the old DACA situation, it was that they were like, oh, you didn't send enough evidence. And I'm like, how did I not send enough evidence? I probably sent like a 10-pound pack of package of everything that they asked for on top of paying everything that they ask you to. And um, somehow I must have gotten like a probably really grumpy person because I've seen people that have had like misdemeanors and they get theirs in like three, four months. I had to reach out to my congresswoman and see if she could look into it. And even though like she was kind of like more anti-immigration. She still tried to help me, which I was really... Who was that? Um, Jamie... Herrera um, Butler. Herrera Butler, yeah. Her assistant helped me out a lot. And we went back and forth and they're always constantly checking. And then finally, like, it went through to where they were able to get towards the end. And then they're like, hey, you don't qualify. You have to reapply and start over. But by then it was already Trump's administration and... and he um canceled he totally the program killed it and then not until when biden came in and when i got let go i went to go see a lawyer and i was like hey this is my situation what can i do and so they ask you a shit ton of questions about your personal life and all these things that you've been through and um how was that whole process was that did that feel like shit or is that just like you just don't even think about it it's embarrassing it seems like it'd be kind of degrading it's embarrassing because even though you're going to a lawyer that's going to help you with that it's just embarrassing telling the person in front of you 
Like my lawyer was on the phone and then she had her assistant writing everything down in front of me. And, um, yeah, it's embarrassing to tell them everything like, oh, by the way, I've been here since I'm two and I don't have legal documentation. I need your help. And so, um, yeah, they asked you a bunch of questions and then they just figure out what's going to be the best way for you. And if it's not going to work, then they say, hey, like, you need to figure this out or you know what? It's probably going to be impossible for you to make it happen. And it sucks because I can't imagine being told that. Yeah. And so luckily, um, since I was married to a U.S. citizen at one point and I was under the two year mark of being divorced, I qualified for um, that specific law. Wow. Does having a, a kid or two kids uh, that are U.S. citizens, does that make it easier? It helps um, in terms of it being that since they're still minors, I have to care for them. Mm-hmm. And I can't leave the country to wait for my green card because there's like sometimes where you have to go and um, wait. And it's been like, oh, they'll say like a, a week or two weeks and you end up being over there for two years. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I wanted to do. No. So pretty much what they do is they have you talk to a psychologist um, and they try to write out if it's going to be a hardship for you or not to be away from your kids that or your family. Um, but with my situation, I I didn't realize how good I had it. I just had to talk to the right person. You know, it goes back to the the counseling. You just always have to find the right person to help you in your situation because sometimes people don't know everything that you need to know. That's so scary, though, that because when you're in the situation, it's not like you get to pick. Yeah. It's just like you get who you get and can't really say shit. Yeah. And especially for people that can't afford a lawyer, like it sucks because there's like a lot of organizations I'll do like pro bono stuff, mm-hmm. but they're not pushing your status to be, you know, fixed yeah. right away. And thankfully for my lawyer, she's amazing and her um, her success rate is 98% for all cases. Wow. And uh, she's worth every single penny because all of the other people that I had talked to in the past, they're like, mm. Either stay married to a U.S. citizen, which they technically can't even tell you, you know, because technically it could be considered fraud if obviously you're just married for that sole reason. Mm-hmm. Or wait for the government to come up with something else that you can file under. So basically zero help. Yeah. And so luckily this lady knows everything um, about situations. And yeah, no, I got my stuff in October. And so, yeah, that's so cool. It was really crazy because I got my social security card and my, you know, my legal card. And I was so scared to sign my social security card because, I mean, it's like my own my first actual social security card. And yeah, people don't realize how good they have it when um, they're born here and you just get it. Yeah, I have two. <laughs> Do you? No, I, I have two birth certificates, actually. Oh. I'm just joking about the social security oh. <laughs> card, I, I think. But yeah, I lost I lost my birth certificate and social security card, and so I ordered a new birth certificate, oh. and then I found them both. Oh, so is I, that how I, that always happens? Yeah, so I'm going to sell the other one if anyone's looking. <laughs> Black market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's been a really crazy situation, and it's expensive, and people just don't realize when they say, oh, you should do it the right way. Or my grandparents came here. That's such a loaded statement. You don't realize that times have changed and there's all these laws in place when people, you know, people were coming and coming to Ellis Island. You didn't really have to provide anything. You could change your name. People just change their names. Yeah. Yeah. On the spot. Yeah. People don't realize that. And it's like you can't compare back in those times to now when immigration has been such a big deal and there's all these laws set in place. Yeah. If you try to do that now, you'd be arrested for fraud. Yeah. 
it's like not the same thing. Yeah, because you know that situation in the southern border where like countries like um, Honduras or Nicaragua, all those other like kind of like violent filled countries you know people have been coming here on asylum Mm -hmm. like now it's like a huge process when it used to be a lot easier yeah you know claiming asylum but now like you you know you can't come and claim asylum and be like oh yeah by the way i'm going to change my last name too yeah like some way or another you have to have some type of proof of who you are they want to keep track of you yeah they don't want you to be a new person in this country no not at all that's kind of a dangerous situation yeah, you're not going to go from, like, Gomez to Smith Yeah, when you come to this country. Yeah. Uh, so it's just – it's been a crazy experience for me to – I'm really happy for you. That's awesome. You. Do you do you feel like you're kind of maybe even more American now than most of your peers? Because you kind of had to earn it. Yeah. Like, you grew up here just like everyone else, just like plain old white people. <laughs> but you also had to go through all this bullshit. Like, you proved that you earned that shit. It's crazy because, like, my old boss at my old job, um, he when I, he knew about the situation and I had been told that I had to go speak to somebody. I was crying because I was embarrassed because everybody, like, were like, oh, I thought you were from here. And I'm like, well, I am. I just wasn't born here and the circumstances kept me from being legal, you know. Um, and so he's like, you're more American than I am because he's uh, Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also told me his story of him. He's like, yeah, I got deported when I was 11 years old. He's like, but then I was able to come back. He's like, and I'm sure it's a lot easier to do that from Portugal than it is to do from Mexico. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just been really crazy to understand it and just make sense of it because the whole, my whole life I've been waiting for it. And then now that I have it, I'm like, okay, so what do I do now? But now all Whatever of my you possibilities want, are endless. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually now I'm going to start going to school so I can um, become a pharmacist. Right on. That's fucking cool. Yeah. So I start, well, I was supposed to start fall quarter, but it just didn't work out. Um, But yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm going to take advantage of all of the opportunities. That's really cool. And I hope my kids see that too, because I know a lot of people that are born here don't take those opportunities. Yeah. They don't even think about it. No. Like. I think that's something that you really get out of having to struggle is that you see benefits once you do have them. You can appreciate them. Yeah. Because you didn't – it wasn't always that way. Yeah. And it's, it's important to know that. The biggest thing for me was like just having to take whatever shit job I could take where I knew I, I was going to be kind of low on the system's radar. Yeah. Um, And for – when I was telling you that part of the reason why I had left was because there was people here on the peninsula harassing me because, you know, my ex-husband had told them. And it was people I trusted, like the people that would understand me the most, people that try to help me supposedly write letters for my whole like DACA situation were the ones outing me Really, people. And I felt really unsafe. So I, I felt like I had to leave. Was it like a situation where they were mad at you or were, or were they just maybe being ignorant and not realizing how big of a deal it could have been for you? Ignorant and just being nasty. You know, this peninsula is like super on the red side yeah I in think, some I think sense so. it's i feel like it's well i guess it's like more shown you know with flags and posters and stuff i'd say we're purple because yeah. it's it's polarized there's some very liberal people here too yeah but in the middle i mean we're we're in the middle because there's both yeah but yeah i think 
Yeah. I just feel like the red side just pushes it so much. And that's no disrespect to anybody who's like a Republican. Everyone has no, their opinions. But there's just a certain degree of people that are so extreme and aggressive with it that make other people uncomfortable. And that was my situation. I'm like, you know what? Either I'm going to end up in the situation of people at those canneries that have been taken away. And, you know, at that time I didn't have my son. I'm like, my daughter only relies on me for anything. God, how did you fucking do that? It was, that must have been so scary. And just like the prospect of looking forward to your life as a, as a young adult with a kid and having to be like, I can only take these jobs that don't get me too noticed or... Fuck, that sucks. That yeah. is horrible. And I'm so actually, glad you've managed to get through that. It actually played a lot in part of my depression and anxiety because um couldn't go to college. Um, I probably could have gone to community college, but, it you know, it's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to do something a little bit bigger than that. And yeah, because you're smart. Like, Why wouldn't you? You just, like, yeah. Man, that's. It sucks because I didn't know about my situation until like. I think I was like a sophomore and I was doing the loyalty pageant. They had like a job fair or something at the school. I don't know. There was like a lady at a desk. She had like a bunch of job applications. And I think they were just looking for kids to work um, for the summer in places in Long Beach or whatever. Mm -hmm. The lady's like, oh, what's your social security number? And I'm like, I don't remember it. I'm like, she's like, oh, if you ask the office, they should have that number. So I went over there and Miss, you know, Sampson was um, still in the office. And I remember asking her, she's like, oh, we don't have one on file for you. But, you know, it's not anything that we always ask unless the parents um, supply it. And that's when I went home and I told my mom what I needed. And she was like, well, she told me the situation. Mm -hmm. And I know it was hard for her because it's not also her fault. She was just trying to do better for me. And it worked eventually. Yeah. Like she got you into the United States and, you know, you took it from there. Yeah. And now my mom's like super like ecstatic of the fact that now I can go down and visit them. Took 30 years for her plan to pay off. Yeah. Like, I'm sure she had a plan when she took you, brought you here that she's like, I'm going to give my daughter a better life. Yeah. And it took that long. It's crazy because um, I think my mindset has changed so much in the last five years since my, well, since my brother passed away, but over the last five years, I've done a little bit more in manifesting and changing my mindset because I used to be so negative, like, oh, why am I going to bother to do that if I'm not going to be able to do it anyways because of my situation? But my mom would always be like, hey, like, you need to be more positive. She'd always be like, don't always be checking your bank account because you're just constantly checking of how much you have and not about how much you could have. And just things like that, you know. Um, and so that helped me and my goals were to have another child, you know, cause I was having infertility issues and have my paperwork by the time I was like, at least in my thirties, 35 was like my cutoff. I actually told myself, if you don't get your shit by 35, just go back to Mexico and call it good. Yeah. You know, if you're born in Mexico, are you a citizen there? So do you have yeah. dual citizenship? Yeah. Cool. So, well, so now I'm, I'm not a citizen yet, but in three years I will be able to apply for citizenship. But right now, yeah, I technically. So what? Am. What is what? What is the status that you've that you've already got? Um, legal resident. Legal resident. Cool. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so it's your green card. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. when you do apply for citizenship, you have to take that test mm-hmm. that everyone talks about. And most citizens couldn't I, pass it. I think it's like a hundred questions, but it's honestly just stuff that you list, you learned in like tenth or eleventh grade history class, mm-hmm. U.S. history. I would I I would take that thing just out of curiosity, <laughs> see if I would pass it. I'm curious. I think the test is available online. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I've seen books for it at the library, like practice books. But it's honestly just basic high school U.S. history. You just have to know your dates, the president during the current term when you have your test, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I'm not worried about it. I know I could totally like pass that with flying colors. Yeah, Um, I'm sure I'm sure you could, too. I I think that's more of a problem for people who are probably like not English speakers or people who are just good old fashioned dumb. (laughs) There's dumb people, too. Yeah. No, it's and it's funny because I've seen interviews like on YouTube or whatever, like people asking like actual Americans questions that are on the test and can't answer them at all. Yeah, I bet. They don't keep abreast of historical topics all that often. Yeah. It's boring to most people. Mm, yeah. It was boring to me until just a couple of years ago, really. Like now I like history stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't used to. I used to think it was boring. I've been actually trying to learn about history uh, as of my ancestors. Um, pretty much because I don't know my dad. I did the ancestry DNA. And some people are like, oh, no, they're just trying to steal your DNA. And I'm like, well, if they're trying to clone me, go ahead so they can go to work for me and I can stay home. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I did that. And it's funny because this whole time I thought it was 100% Hispanic, like Mexican, Mexican. I'm not. What are you? I'm 48% indigenous Mexican. And then the rest was just a variety of um, African and um, German. Wow. And uh, Actually, I kind of remember you talking about German. Was that you? Yeah. So for the longest time, I remember my mom saying that my dad had some German in him. and But then it was like more – maybe we're more Scottish. No, because our last name, Galvin, comes from Scotland mm. or Irish. Um, Ireland, I mean. And then none of that came up on my DNA test. Interesting. And it's crazy because I have a lot of, at least 25% African in me, which is crazy to think about because I didn't know. But that stems from the fact that um, my ancestors come from Cuba with German roots. Okay. And it's weird because people would always be like, you don't look Mexican. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, Hispanic people look Mexicans different. Mexicans are saying that to you? Oh, yeah. It was always them. Yeah. You don't look Mexican. I'm like, what does that mean? I don't have a taco on my face or <laughs> Or a nopal, you know, a cactus. Mm-hmm. But now I guess I get, I make sense of maybe possibly why. Yeah, well, that's like a, a Korean could tell you that that Japanese guy it doesn't look like the Chinese guy. Yeah. But you know, someone from North Carolina might not be able to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's just been crazy. So um, one of my biological father's friends from college messaged me because he saw that on my Facebook and he was like, you know, that does make sense. I remember them saying they were like Cuban German. Of some sort. That's cool. So, Isn't that ancestry stuff awesome? It's that you could just so look yourself up. And it's funny because it connected me to people that I didn't know I was related to. Mm-hmm. Even one of my cousins, um, one of my mom's sister's kids came up and it shows um, first cousin. But there's another girl on there that says close relative, which is closer then first cousin, so she could possibly be my sister from my dad's side because I don't know my dad's side of the family. That's uh, been and this is someone works. you already knew? No, I don't know her. Oh, okay. So I've, I'm trying to – eventually I'll probably try to see how I can find more out about her. But And she's an un- – okay, so an unidentified close relative – or not unidentified, but somebody you don't know who just popped up. It's like, hey, you're really closely related yeah. to this person. like the DNA was like 50% almost. So that's like your sister. Yeah. Okay. So now I have to see if my other sister, my actual sister that I, you know, Roxana, 
we'll do it and see how much it shows up for her. It's weird that they're not like you're with your siblings. They're not completely the same. That mm-hmm. that tripped me out when I first did it. Uh, my sister, my older sister, also did it, and we only share forty eight percent of or forty nine percent of our DNA. That's crazy. Yeah, we have we got our we got our we are full biological siblings, but we out of the collection of genes that we pulled from our parents, we only picked forty eight percent of the same ones. It's. I didn't know that happened like that. It's really crazy how that works because my cousin, that's my first cousin, um, he had more of like European from him. Like I had a little bit like Italian, like North and Southern Italian, uh, but he had like Scottish, uh, I don't know, all pretty much all the super white people that you would find in Europe. That's all I am. I'm 99.999% of those. Yeah. And so it's crazy that he had a big majority of it. And I had more of like the African and like Italian and Spanish because my mom's grandparents are literally from Spain. They immigrated to Mexico from Spain. But yeah, it was just so crazy, the variety, you know, because at the end of the day, like my mom and his mom are sisters. But, like, the difference between their kids, you know, me and my cousin, is just, like, completely almost the opposite. Other than the fact that we share that we're indigenous Mexican. Mm-hmm. Which is also really cool. Yeah. I was hoping there was some kind of something with a little bit of spice to it in my <laughs> history. But, no, I'm completely white. <laughs> it's just the most boring thing you could be. What, what did yours come up? So, uh, 99% um, Northern European. Like, English, wow. Scottish, Irish. And that's it. That's, That's crazy. It. No, like, Asian. Nothing no, else. No Nothing little else. drop of. Pure as the driven snow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, why it, does it, they well, come? It's funny because, like, a lot of people in my family are super, like, light-skinned and have really light eyes. Well, some of them. And very, like, kind of, like, mm, not too blonde. Almost like your hair color. Mm-hmm. Um, dirty blonde or even, like, a red tone. But, yeah, I didn't get any of that. And, like, my son, it's so funny. So my daughter, she's more like me, kind of more darker complected, dark hair. And my son is super white with, like, almost, like, cinnamon-colored hair. Oh. It's, like, a really light color with, like, the ends are, like, almost red. Oh, wow. And it's funny because people would be like, is his dad white? And I'm like, no. Like, me and his dad are so brown. Uh-huh. We don't know why our son came out like that. But, you know. Some of that German. It's that gene pool. Yeah, and the German and so, and then my mom, you know, my mom, she was super, she's super, super pale and had really, really dark hair. And I think out of all of us, my brother and sister, she was probably like the more lighter toned of all of us. Mm-hmm. And, There's a ton of genetic diversity in, yeah. in Mexico, even just in Mexico, because of the, all the times they were conquered and the native populations mixing together and all that. Just a lot, a lot, lot to go a lot in of colonizers. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Like if you go to Guadalajara, where I'm from, people look Asian. They're they look Greek, but it's all of those immigrants that kind of like even left their own things going on in their countries and going to Mexico for refuge. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Irish people there uh, because during their um, famine, I don't know what year it was, but they had a really big famine, and a lot of people from Ireland. I think it was late 1800s. Yeah, sounds like it. Potato famine. Pota- yeah, potato famine. They all kind of immigrated to Mexico and just set roots there. So if you go to Guadalajara and probably all types of all places in Mexico, but Guadalajara is very known for super tall, white, light-skinned 
people. Mormons, too. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know about Guadalajara, but that was something I didn't realize until I heard it on Joe Rogan that, like, there's big Mormon communities that went to Mexico because they allowed polygamy. Mm -hmm. So you could have, like, just load up your wives and pack them on down. <laughs> and now they're, they've built, like, communities down there. Yeah, and it's pretty popular, like, more on, like, the borders, like, towards the borders of Texas and Arizona. Mm-hmm. Just because maybe they can cross over and handle Just things here. Just in case here. shit gets scary. But they're, you know. And I think you and Cindy talked about it, about the whole, that Mormon family that got yeah. killed by yep. the cartel. That is scary shit. People just don't really, they're so desensitized yeah. to things like that now. It's like normal when it's not normal. Yeah, that's not normal at all. <laughs> Let's laugh because this guy got killed. Like, you know. Actually, maybe it used, maybe that's the, the way we're supposed to be because like, a few hundred years ago, people were getting killed left and right mm -hmm. all the time. So maybe you had to laugh it was about like it. Normal. Yeah, maybe that's another one of those traits that just stuck around: the ability to laugh at morbid things. It's crazy because you know, being Mexican, like where we're from, we're like Aztec, where the Aztecs used to live, and you can actually go and visit the ruins and all that um, in the more like rural areas. Um, but yeah, like I've learned so much about how all of like the little communities they would just kill each other. Oh, yeah. All ruthless. The time. Humans are ruthless. And it's funny because pozole, you know, the Mexican soup, mm -hmm. comes from cannibalism oh. from the Aztecs. Wow. So they would make like a soup um, from humans. That sounds brothy. <laughs> uh, they, yeah. They killed like, uh, I don't even remember exactly how many it was, but after they were done building that giant, I think it was Aztec or Mayan. Damn it, I'm going to have to do a ding on this one too. <laughs> but there's a giant temple where they, it took them like 90 years to build it. And then they killed like 20,000 people who helped them build it. All of them killed them, sacrificed them one by one at the top of this thing. And it took like days. It, that is Pretty crazy. brutal tradition. Yeah. Okay, you ready? Mm -hmm. The Aztec Empire was the most powerful state in the Americas when Europeans first arrived. The Spanish invaders were so shocked to find that Aztecs carried huge numbers of human sacrifices at their temples. The scale... I can wait till you're done. Okay. I'm done right now. The scale... The scale... Of the killings... The killings... Of the killings... That the killings made me think of Daisy. Oh, I'm so sorry. The scale... The scale... Of the... Of the killings, killings has long has long been a matter. Daisy, been a matter. Been a matter of of Daisy controversy. I miss Daisy. Stop it! I miss Daisy too, but we can't. We got our job to do here. The show must go on. I know, but I just can't. No one can keep my mind with Daisy. The no scale one. of the killings has long been a matter of controversy, as the Spanish uh, may have exaggerated the number of, of killed to make the Aztecs appear more barbaric. Of the Aztecs to appear more You can be done. Thank you. But I want to ring the bell. Sacrifice was a central focus of religion in Central America. People would often stab themselves with thorns in their tongues and their ears and even their genitalia to offer the Ew. blood to the gods. I know. As human sacrifice. Some victims volunteered for the good of the community. Dad! Some victims volunteered. Stop, stop. I'm trying to work. Some victims volunteered for the good of the community or to atone for a sin. 
but most were prisoners of war or criminals. Do not fall off that ledge. I won't! The Spanish records relate mostly to the Aztecs. Please. Is this the cord you needed? You're being a pain in the butt. Is this the cord you needed? I needed you to be quiet. Thank you. So it would appear that there's lots of different accounts from the Spanish about the sacrifices, and they had good reason to lie. They were trying to convince everybody that these were savages so that they could go in and just obliterate their culture and take their land and all their treasures. So they had plenty of motivation to make up a bunch of stories about how terrible they were. That being said, there also is a lot of evidence that there was definitely a lot of human sacrificing going on. They had this giant wall that was made of like 120,000 skulls, all uh, kind of embedded in mortar. Uh, they just a couple of years ago unearthed a whole bunch of skulls and a tower made of skulls that was beneath Mexico City. So this stuff is real, but to the extent that it's true, we don't know the real details. So this information is according to History Extra, the official website for BBC History Magazine and the BBC History Revealed. There's a paragraph in here that says, It is possible that around 20,000 people were sacrificed a year in the Aztec Empire. Special occasions demanded more blood. When a new temple to, ooh, that's a tough one, Huitzilopochtli was dedicated in 1487, an estimated 80,400 people were sacrificed. Whoo, that's a lot of people. So that's what I was actually talking about. I had heard somewhere, pretty sure it was on Joe Rogan, that those people are the ones who built the temple. So that's that's a shitty day of work. They kill you after you're done. Uh, but Seems like they were okay with it. So who knows? Culture's a crazy thing, huh? Back to the show. But, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty, you know, savage of us to do things like that. But, uh, it, but it makes so sense because it, they don't... I mean, it's just what you're doing to get by. Same thing. Like, we do weird shit now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just different weird shit. People are sitting in saunas, taking ice baths, doing breathing exercises. Like... You just do what you got to do to get by, whatever's working. Yeah, cope with the times that are coming through. Thank God we don't have to sacrifice people anymore for rain and stuff like that. (laughs) Maybe we should start to revert climate change. Right. (laughs) One thing I wanted to talk about before you go is names. So you go by multiple names depending on different groups. I have the same situation, and I get to choose which of those names I want to go by. I don't ever go by Stanton unless I'm like at the bank yeah. but um that's so funny to even like think that you have to go to the bank and call yourself that because yeah, we never called you that no nobody does and like even just between Jeff and Jeffrey like I get to pick who calls me Jeffrey and who calls me Jeff and if you call me Jeffrey it's just because you know me really well or mm-hmm. you knew me when that's the only name I went by which is like when I was a little kid yeah but um what what name do you prefer the most, and what do you go by at work? What are your what are your what does your family call you? What are your names? Okay, so uh, my name is Florencia Montserrat Galvan Nunez. Um, Florencia was actually my grandma's name. It's um, a pretty name. She died. Thank you. She passed away when my mom was like maybe two or three years old. So since I was one of like the second borns of those kids, I got the name. Um, so Flo, well, you remember you were in my fifth grade class. Mr. Johnson gave mm-hmm. me the Flo Joe kind of nickname because um, after going from Long Beach Elementary to Hilltop, they like put my full legal name and he's like, yeah, I can't say that. He's like, we're calling you Flo. 
But in between that time, I was getting called Monse, which is short for Montserrat. And so that's what a lot of people knew me growing up. So if anybody calls me Monse, it's either because they're Hispanic and they knew me growing up or you went to school with me or you're one of my teachers. Um, and then Flo just kind of like picked up on after fifth grade. Mm-hmm. But now that I've gotten older and me working in more like Mexican restaurants and, you know, well, it's like Mexican restaurant tequila bar. It was mainly just Hispanic people working in those two rest. Well, yeah, mainly Hispanic people working in those restaurants. And so they couldn't say flow. So it became flor. Okay. And then from flor, you know, flor means flower in Spanish. So it would be like Rosita or whatever. So people give me all types of nicknames. And I actually don't mind what you call me as long as obviously you're being respectful. But I think it just, it sucks to have to adapt to every different situation when you have a big old name like that. Yeah. Because people can't say Monse all the time. And saying flow, I feel like that's more like my child hood kind of name, like mm-hmm. nickname. And I feel like I've grown out of it a little bit more. Um, I think the moment that I changed my name off Facebook from Flow to Monse was when I saw a period app being advertised to me. <laughs> yeah. So I literally sat there and looked at my phone and I had like an epiphany and I was just like, uh, yeah, I can't be called Flow anymore. There's yeah. a freaking period app. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, Flow Rider. Yeah. That had to have been like, well, I don't want to have the same name as this guy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's just been kind of having to adapt to what. Um, but honestly, i kind of been liking Flor a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, I like that too. It's cool. Because I feel a little bit more grown up than mm-hmm. just flow. Mm-hmm. I felt, to be honest, I felt kind of stupid when people were calling me that, like just in the last few years. I don't know. It just seemed silly to me. I get, I get that way. totally. You know what I mean? That's how I feel when people call me Jeffrey and in like a professional setting. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's a little bit just like it's my kid name, mm-hmm. which I'm still that guy. So it's it's okay in certain contexts, but not always. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I just have to adapt. But I've been embracing more of the Florencia name. and That's yeah. a good one. I like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nicknames are weird, too, because like you just said, it's all about as long as you're respectful, it, it, that's what really matters. I was reading a, an article earlier about it. The way people use nicknames determines the dynamics of relationships really profoundly. Like if you have a nickname that really, regardless of whether it's positive or negative, if you give a person a nickname, that's exercising dominance over that person. Mm-hmm. And it could be in a benevolent sense where you're actually trying to build a rapport or trying to, you know, have a relationship with that person like I don't know I don't give people nicknames because it's almost always rude yeah (laughs) no I totally agree um and I didn't recognize that until I was a grown-up I used to do that as a young person all the time and I think that's because I was trying to socially dominate people and I didn't really realize that's what was going on but that's what's going on you're basically taking someone's name and saying like hey I know you identify as this but in my eyes, you haven't earned that, so I'm going to give you this instead. And yeah. it's not as good as your real name. Like, it just never is. But and I've watched things and read things about how, like, people that have, like, ethnic names, how they feel um, almost like they have to change their name to more American to, like, be more, um, I guess, American. Yeah. But it's like, why should I have to change what my real name is so that you can pronounce it? Like, you should learn how to say my name. Yes, And exactly. I'm totally fine teaching you 
how to say it. You just have to ask and not be rude about it because people will laugh sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. I think as mi- if as many people with, with ethnic-sounding names demand that people use them as possible, that, that will eventually shift. There is still going to be an effect where certain names are, for whatever reason, more favored than others, and those people will get better treatment. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, like it's very well known that people who are better looking get better treatment. Yeah. Like this is a well-established uh, sociological principle and it sucks, but it's true and it'll be true forever. And there's the same effect with names and people with more um, socially higher regarded names do better in life. They, they have easier opportunities and things like that. But there's a good chance that a lot of that is based on racism currently and in, in the past. So maybe we could shift it t- towards more people like, <laughs> oh, we just don't like guys named Kevin. Yeah. But that's it's I was, that's what the article was about. I, I forgot what the actual uh, point I was trying to make there was, but it doesn't matter. The name thing is interesting to me because I really do think it it has a large impact on what you become as a person. Yeah, absolutely. Like, did you put a lot of thought into your kids' names? Um, so Erica's name, her name is Erica uh, Melody, and then she has my last name and her dad's last name. And I actually gave birth to her in a birthing center and I had no medication and when it was time for us to name her like I was just so exhausted and didn't even want to know about anything that her dad picked it out and her dad's name is Eric he named, so. him after, named her after himself so I mean that made sense because we thought we were gonna have a boy so it was already automatic Erica Eric but Melody just kind of came but I think he did it more towards because it was an M name mm-hmm. and so since I had an M middle name it just kind of made sense and then Leo um, it was really, really hard to figure out a name for him because I didn't, you know, for both of the kids, I didn't want them to have to struggle like the way that I did. But I feel like with my son, I kind of did that a little bit because his first name is Leon, which is lion in Spanish. But when we go to the clinics, they'll be like Leon. Yeah. But they don't see I that little like black you know, accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leon. And it's funny because there's a singer named Leon, but his name's Leon. Mm-hmm. But we just call her call him Leo. And his middle name's Alexander. And those both of those names popped up to me from just like a name of a Greek names. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I wish I would have named him Alexander first. But at the end of the day, um, it'll be up to him what he wants people to call him. Leo, Alex, Alexander. Yeah, Alexander's a cool name. Yeah, and I, I really liked it, even though like um I don't know, it was just really, really hard to pick a boy name. I it's sad. And, but it's true. I didn't want to give my name, my son, a typical Hispanic name. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want my son, you know, and I'm falling under my own narrative. I didn't want my son to fall under those, uh, I don't know, like when they name their kids typical Hispanic names. I didn't you don't want, want him to be treated worse before yeah. people even meet him. And it sucks that it has to be that way, but sometimes you just have to adapt. And yeah. as much as you want to change it, that's just the reality. Try, you know, trying to prepare for that possible future does not mean you're endorsing it and yeah. making it okay. It's just that is the reality of the world. And yeah. it's good that you're looking out for potential to, to run into assholes. That. Yeah. No. Or not even assholes, people who don't realize that they're, they're, they're doing that. Mm-hmm. That's the, the real problem is that so many people are just like, oh, me, I'm not racist. Mm-hmm. No, good heavens, no. <laughs> but who are you going to pick on the loan application, you know? Tiffany Watson or Jose Gomez. <laughs> that's funny. That's my or Leon. <laughs> Leon. Uh, I don't know what's a black name. <laughs> <laughs> he Leon Jerome. Yeah. 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 So and his dad is named Jose, 
So that's already like a, a super typical Mexican name. And there's nothing with being ashamed of it. It's just. No, it's like Jeff. Yeah. That's a typical white guy name. Yeah. So like, you know, like you said, you're going to look at a loan application and you're going to see somebody named Jose. And then you're going to see somebody named, you know, Alexander. It sucks because there's just so much biasm just in that. Yeah. Just because of a name. Yep. Yep. And that's it goes. I mean, even inside of the racial groups, there's still preferences like that. And that's Mm -hmm. just changes with time. There's some names that were the hot name 20 years ago, but now wouldn't be. When's the last time you met a child named Jeff? (laughs) It's been a while, huh? I think, honestly, you and Jeff Hilton are the only Jeffs I actually personally know. Really? I know so fucking many Jeffs. Really? They're everywhere. The, the, The world is crawling with them. But they're all between the ages of 30 and like mm. 45, 50, that area. Maybe that was just the time when they were born. I wonder Jeff who, was, who was famous, that there was some famous Jeff at the time, I'm sure, like in the 80s, 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Must have been. Had to have been. It's yeah. not that great of a name. <laughs> Did <laughs> but you ever ask your everywhere. parents why you're named Jeff? Well, yeah, it's my dad's name. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That one's easy. I didn't even have to ask them. <laughs> like, why did you guys name me Jeff? Yeah. Well, they didn't, actually. They they don't call me Jeff. They call me Jeffrey. My mom, for years, would correct people as when I was an adult. Like, don't – nope, he goes by Jeffrey, not Jeff. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Stop doing that. She eventually did stop. Yeah. That's funny. All right. Well, Florencia – it has been two hours. I think it's time we wrap this thing up. <clears throat> that happened pretty fast. Yeah, they go by pretty quick most of the time. Do you have anything else you want to hit before we get out of here? Um, I was going to talk about tequila, but that's totally off of what we were what going to talk about. I'll talk about tequila. I was actually going to bring some to sip on, but then I was like, ah, it's noon. And I don't know if that's such a great idea. But yeah, no, I just, um, I've learned so much about tequila in my last few years. Mm-hmm. And I've fallen in love with it so much. And people get this crazy stigma that tequila is just disgusting and horrible thanks to Jose Cuervo Gold. I used to think that for that same reason. And people don't realize that Jose Cuervo Gold is half sugarcane and mm. not actually tequila. That goes great in a margarita. That's the whole purpose of it being. Is that why they make it that way? Yeah. Because you can easily just do your lime juice, your Jose Cuervo Gold, and maybe like a Cointreau or like a triple sec, some type of orange liqueur, and you're good. Mm-hmm. But, and it honestly, shockingly enough, I hate Jose Cuervo because you're not supposed to shoot it. But in a margarita, it stands out well. And it, you know, it does its job. Yeah. But Margaritas there's just good. so many other tequilas now that are so great for sipping that I've like fallen in love with just the situation. Probably people think that I'm alcoholic because they'll come to my house and they see all these bottles of tequila. But it's surprisingly that I probably don't ever drink any of them. Mm-hmm. How do you pick a tequila? What's What's <clears> good? It just really depends what you want out of it. So do you want to sip it? For a sipping, like something that actually tastes good, you enjoy drinking. So honestly, my favorite one is Clasa Azul Reposado. It comes in a tall white ceramic vase with like a metal bell at the top. That one, it's a little pricey. Sounds like it. Um, It started off being like 100 bucks for a bottle. Maybe now it's at like the 180, 200 range. Same with like Don Julio 1942. The classes was probably one of like the smoothest tequilas you will ever have. You mm-hmm. can people try to have it in a margarita, and that's when I'm like, ah, uh, it's a waste. No, you don't do like a super nice bourbon and make an old fashioned out of it. You know, if you want something more like for a margarita, 
there's all these other ones. You know, people were like, oh, 1800 or Patron. Um, it's funny because Patron, Don Julio, and this other one called Siete Leguas, they make it in my little hometown where I was born. And my parents are actually growing agaves for some of them. They're just waiting wow. on brokers to come and buy their crop before they're even like full grown. But yeah, like there's just so many things that you can do. Like there's like the Casamigos. That's the George Clooney tequila. Oh, and yeah. honestly, for being a celebrity tequila, that's probably one of the best tequilas in general. I always love the Reposados because silvers kind of tend to be super like um, more floral and more like with jasmine notes and almost like vinegar to where it kind of like burns you a little bit. So I always tell people that a repo is always good to go. And the way you know is if they're silver, honey colored or super dark. Mm -hmm. And then um, like if you, depending on which one it is, they're all aged differently. So like a Blanco is not aged for more than two months. Does the color come from the cask? Um, like like yeah. it does with whiskey? Yeah, exactly. Do they use burned barrels like they did with whiskey for uh, aging it? Some of them do. There's this one, well, Clas Azul is aged in old whiskey barrels. Um, there's another one called Eredura that also does Jack Daniel barrels when they're burned in the inside. So just really depending on what flavor you want to get out of it, that's what you're going to do with your barrels. How is Don Julio? Where does that stack up? Oh, it's one of my favorites. Because that's when I went to Mexico, that's what I kept ordering. And, it, and I loved it. I thought it was great. But I don't know tequila. And I was basing that opinion off of just hearing about it in a Drake song. <laughs> oh, and I was nice. like, well, I want to get some of that. Yeah, no, Don Julio is always going to be a classic, and that's one of the only tequilas that were in my household. We had Patron just because... Patron's good. Patron, but what happened with Patron is that they wanted to get it, like, mass-produced because it was so overly marketed that they needed it, like, now, now, now. It lost its flavor that it was really meant for. When did that happen? I don't know, like, probably in, like, the early 2000s. Okay, so since we've been drinking... Yeah, I was going to okay. say, because I do remember it used to be one of my favorite tequilas. And then after I turned 21, I was like, this sucks. It's uh, it's funny because I don't know if you're familiar with Siete Leguas, but it's it ha it's a number seven. has like a little like donkey or a mule painted oh, on I the front. Oh, I think I've seen that. I don't even try it. So that one is a small batch kind of tequila. And whoever used to be the distiller for them during that time when Patron's like, hey, we need to like really like mass produces he was like well i'm if you want this flavor you're not going to get it if you're going to be mass producing and that's when it changed it's funny because eventually he ended up going to patron to work for them but oh. the flavor never got better mm -hmm. so that's why i always recommend like more hands-on type of artisanal tequilas like siete leguas don julio has grown a lot though because of 1942 and celebrities and influencers being like oh you know this is the best tequila um so for a while there, there was like node bottles to buy anywhere and so yeah that probably makes it pretty expensive <clears throat> yeah so you yeah you used to be able to buy it for like 100 bucks a bottle for the julio 1942 it's aged for three years um and it, it's a really good tequila it's very oaky and has a little bit of a spice to it but ever since that started happening it got even more expensive so it's in the 200 dollars range if you can get it wow for us at the restaurant if we want to get it we have to buy it by like a case because uh -huh. if you just want one bottle you're not gonna be on yeah. the list that makes sense. Supply yeah. and demand. Yeah, so... Doesn't The Rock have his own tequila? Yeah, it's called Terramana. I haven't tasted that one. I did have the Kendall Jenner tequila. Oh, I didn't know she had one. Um, Yeah, it's called 818. Worst tequila I've ever had. And we'll see, the thing that sucks about all these celebrities trying to have tequilas is that they're taken away from, like, the actual 
the market share market and people that are from Mexico that grow it. You know, obviously, if they want to make more money, they're going to have to like a sell to, you know, bigger companies like Patron is owned by the same company that Bacardi's owned. Oh, um, who in the owner is actually the guy that owns Paul Mitchell, literally Paul Mitchell. So, oh. yeah. So when all these celebrities try to come in on that, they're taken away from people that live off of that. Yeah. And people that do that, they should be the ones that are millionaires, not celebrities. Yeah. <clears throat> but George Clooney gets a pass because honestly, that's probably the Casamigos is probably one of the best. And he went balls deep in the <clears throat> tequila world, didn't he? Like he yeah. legitimately is doing the tequila thing or well, is, he is he just sold it? <clears throat> oh, OK. He sold his company for one billion dollars. Wow. Yeah. I had heard that he was pretty involved in the beginning of that company. And yeah, it he wasn't was. just like his name on it. Mm-hmm. He was super involved. Um, the Rock, too, like. His is out of, like, Tequila Jalisco, which is where they make Jose Cuervo, Mm -hmm. which is more north of where we're from. We're more south of Guadalajara, southeast. But, yeah, all these celebrities trying to make tequilas are just, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, do you even know, do you even like tequila at that point, you know? Yeah. And when I tried the Kendall Jenner one, I was like, ooh. My friend liked it, but I was like, "Eh, I don't know. It tastes like cinnamon and just burns. It doesn't taste good. And if I want to drink something, I want it to be something that I can enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a big difference. If you're a celebrity and you want to make a tequila, make sure it tastes good because we're going to judge the shit out of you. As we should. (laughs) As we should. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you so much for coming. This has been cool. Next time, bring the tequila. We'll do like a little taster. Yeah, we'll do it. I don't care if it's 8 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'm We'll start our day fresh. Yeah. (laughs) Who needs caffeine when you got tequila? I'll have both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have coffee tequila. Oh, yeah? I like coffee liqueur. It's good. Patron has one, which shockingly for Patron, it's actually pretty good. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I I think coffee. I like coffee ice cream. I like coffee everything. Coffee is really good. Coffee is fucking great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for coming. Uh, Well, thanks for having me. I will talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ramble by the River. If you did, please take 30 seconds to post a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, post about it on social media, or simply mention it to a friend. We are a grassroots organization, and this is how new people can find the show. So thank you for helping us to extend our reach. Ramble by the River is written, edited, and produced by me, Jeff Nesbitt. Thank you to our guests, and special thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Without you, none of this would be possible. If you'd like to support the show, don't wait. Join the Ram Fam today and get access to all of the bonus features, including a free Ramble by the River t-shirt with every premium subscription. Head to ramblebytheriver.com and click the link to sign up. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys next week.